What is happening, everyone? Fresh off the fight card of the year on Saturday night, UFC 281. I am Colby Daniels, along with Will Brewer. Will, what a night it was in New York City inside Madison Square Garden. 11 of 14 fights are finishes. Seven first-round finishes, which ties a UFC record. Two title fights in which both belts changed hands. An incredible night and an incredible fight card. Definitely the fight of the year at this point. Late in the year, I might add, but uh, Saturday night had a ton of hype, and it lived up to the hype. What a night it was. Yeah, it's it's rare when you have um, a night that was that hyped up, and it kind of over-delivered, because it's it's rare when you've got the prelims that delivered that way, and then uh, the, the main card, so many storylines, uh, and then for those to deliver as well, um, you get you get a long-reigning champion dethroned, you get a new uh, champion in the women's strawweight division, Poirier Chandler, fight of the year type, uh, type fight, uh, then you got some of the uh, young prospects, Aaron Blanchfield. Like there, there was just so much to love on the card. Um, Madison Square Garden was rocking; the crowd was into it the entire time. That's what that's what you love um, in this sport. And you know the the London card showed us that back in March. Yeah. But um, when you got Madison Square Garden rocking like that, uh, the, the the March card in London held on as long as it could. But I mean, it's it, Took a Madison Square Garden raucous crowd to knock it off the throne, and it definitely did. It was a raucous crowd, but I'll say this. Can you imagine if this fight card happened in London? Uh, like, that crowd's yeah. just different, man. It's like they're just at a different level. Absolutely. The I mean, I can't imagine if... I mean, that's why the UFC wants to have Leon and Usman in that, in that area, because you know how geeked up the crowd is yeah. going to be. It's going to be scenes there, but... If this card was there and all the highlight reel finishes and man, I can't even imagine. I mean, Madison Square Garden was rocking, but I mean, putting this one in London would have been incredible. Yeah. Now, we might not have ever reached the main card because uh, maybe the building burns down following Aaron Blanchfield's performance uh, over the fan favorite meatball Molly McCann. But yeah, like that London card was so great because the card was great. But the atmosphere that I think the fans created was a big part of that. And uh yeah, that's that's probably going to go down as one of my favorite cards, not just of the year, but I, I think in in recent UFC history for sure. Um, all right, so let's jump into this thing because we got a lot of fights to talk about. There was a lot of explosive fireworks up and down this entire fight card. Um, the main event will, I mean, you have the reigning middleweight champion, a guy that has completely dominated this division since he's been the champion. I know all of last week you probably heard similar conversations about. You know, Israel Adesanya and Anderson Silva and, you know, what that gap is to be the middleweight GOAT. Um, Adesanya has completely annihilated everyone in his path in the middleweight division. Enter Alex Pereira, a guy that um, obviously has not been in the UFC for very long, has two wins over Israel Adesanya in kickboxing. This was only fight number four for him in the UFC. And with all that said, by a mile, the biggest threat to Israel Adesanya's title reign and it gave us, I think, in terms of hype, the most hyped Israel Adesanya fight that we've had since he's been champion, and clearly, within the fight, the best fight that we've had of the Israel Adesanya era, in which, in the fifth round, a fight that Israel Adesanya was clearly winning 3-1, to one, the power of Alex Pereira, once again, is the difference between these two. Yeah, man, I mean, in this Izzy title reign, he's done a really good job of keeping himself out of danger. Uh, Jared Cannonier, Robert Whitaker, Paulo Costa, all these guys, while they're very, very good, they were just at massive disadvantages when it came to Izzy. Izzy's a master at, at, at managing distance, at um, finding a way to hit you 
where you can't even come close to hitting him. I mean, Robert Whitaker is as good of a middleweight that you will find, but he just has an awful time against Israel Adesanya, right? But like you said, enter Alex Pajeda, and all those advantages disappear. The 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 distance management's not there. Um, the way that Izzy can kick you and not be kicked, that's not there. I mean, almost immediately you saw like the size discrepancy, not the size discrepancy, but how similar they were in size. And on fight day, Alex looked a lot bigger than Izzy. Um, his stance, straight up stance, Izzy bends at the knees a little bit. So um, that looked, that made Alex look a lot bigger. But I think right away you saw, um, while Izzy was still at a, a little bit of a distance away from Alex, Alex was pursuing him, pressuring him, and was still able to kick to kick uh, Izzy's calves and his legs and everything. Izzy was never out of danger when uh, when fighting Alex Bejeda. Um, and over the course of 25 minutes, he had to he had to evade that left hand for 25 minutes. And the fact that the fact that he almost did, I mean, that's a testament to him. He had to introduce wrestling. He had to do a lot to try to evade that. But at, at, in the end, the power was the difference. And I've never seen something like this happen in, in MMA. And of course, you know, you have your kickboxing fights as well. But Throughout three fights of Israel Adesanya and Alex Pajeda, two in MMA or two in kickboxing, one in MMA, I still stand by the better guy is Israel Adesanya. For sure, but he can he just can't seal the deal against Alex Pajeda. Maybe that first fight was a robbery. I mean, who knows? It was a close fight. But I don't think it could he, be a robbery. I mean, I think you can make the case that Izzy won it, but I. I that was a really fun fight to watch, and I think that could have gone either way. So I, I don't think it was a robbery, but I, I think you can clearly make the case that Izzy could have won that. Yeah, um, and I, I felt like on in that first fight he was the he was the more skilled guy, but Alex had the power. Second fight he was winning, and then Alex knocked him out. Third fight winning, Alex knocked him out. the The margin of error for Izzy is so so small. It's smaller than a guy with a puncher's chance to win. Um, because Alex has skill to go along with this power. Alex can match. I'm not gonna say I'm not gonna say he's better than Izzy at kickboxing, but he can match what Izzy does well uh, in terms of the kicks, the length, and all that stuff. It just makes for a really, really tough fight for Izzy. And Izzy performed well, but that margin of error, like I said, is so is so small. And that error he made in the fifth round, he 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 got his he got the uh, the leg kick checked. And then I think his leg was done after that. The movement was kind of compromised. Even though he tried to play it off, yeah. the movement was compromised. He's backing up straight to the fence, which he did a lot of the a lot of the fight. But backing up straight to the fence, Alex caught him and, and closed the show. I and mean, he even said, like... I, I don't know where... I was going to say, go he even said that in the post-fight press conference that um, not only that, but the investment in the kicks that Pareda made basically from the beginning of the fight really paid off because he said going into the fifth round, his legs were done. Yeah, and, and that's something that no other middleweight has been able to do to him, invest in the leg kicks. They, they haven't been able to add, add those up over the course of time. Nobody's been able to do that. Um, it, it's just different. Izzy's going from fighting guys who are 5'11 and 6'1", and Alex Pajeda is all of 6'4 and a half, 6'5". It's, it's, just, it's just crazy. Um, it, it was a tremendous fight to watch. It was, it was sort of a chess match. Izzy had a lot of moments even introducing the wrestling. I thought that was masterful. While Izzy didn't look very good at it, I mean, he you could tell he practiced it, and to introduce that was very, very solid on his part. It's just tough for Izzy that he ended that way, but huge props to Alex Pajeda for uh, 
staying with it in the fifth round after being down 3-1, listening to his corner and getting that finish, man. Props to the new champ. Yeah, I think you nailed it. I mean, Israel Adesanya, I think if you watch those two guys, is clearly the more skilled guy, the more talented guy, the more well-rounded guy. He's better than Pajeda in basically every category except power, right? And unfortunately, I think there's just a pretty decent discrepancy in terms of the power. Not that Izzy doesn't have any because we saw Izzy uh, rock Pajeda. It's just the, the difference in what each of these guys can survive when the other is landing clean. Um, you know, you, you take away the massive advantage that Izzy has in all those other areas against all those other guys. He still has that against Pereira, but it's just by such a small margin that seemingly that can't make up for the power discrepancy when they ultimately exchange. And the fact that Pereira can get to Izzy because you can't use the same distance management. You can't do all the things that he does against everybody else that makes him so successful, um, despite, once again, him leading on the scorecards. There's going to be exchanges between these two, and when there is, you just you don't feel like Izzy's going to be on the better side of that because of the power. But, you know, it's it, I, I don't know how much different, um, ultimately, this fight is, like, two or three or four times. I would love to see these guys fight as many times as possible because you genuinely feel like it's a coin flip and could go either way when they're standing opposite each other. Um, you know, Alex Pereira is only going to continue to get better. That's the thing. He's so young, if you will, in his MMA career. He's only going to continue to get better. And for Izzy, it's only going to become more of a mental hurdle, I would imagine, going forward, right? So um, this is really interesting. Obviously, they're going to face off again. They're going to fight again. Israel Adesanya said in his post-fight press conference that he's going to take some time off and that that he has some health things that he needs to to take care of. So I don't know what the timeline ultimately is and whether that means that Pereira fights someone else before he fights Izzy again. But these two guys are going to fight again. It's on Israel Adesanya's timeline, and he's absolutely earned that. Yeah, I mean, longtime champion. I don't think there's any other way to go than for, Iz for Israel Adesanya's next fight to be for the title. As a long-reigning champion, he's earned that. He deserves it. Uh, but yeah, I'm I'm with you on on this fight um, going forward. Like if this if this fight happens again, the mental hurdle, like knowing that he was two minutes away from finally slaying the dragon, and then the dragon just overpowers him, like just snatches um, the victory from the jaws of defeat. It's cr it's crazy. Um, I mean, I feel like he's handling it well, but I mean to go through all of that again, I don't know how he's gonna be able to get himself up. He seems like he's up for it, but I mean. I think this, if, if it were anybody else, any any other fighter, I would say, like, I would be very concerned about them going into a, a, another fight. Izzy seems like he's handling it well, but the fact that he was so close to winning this fight and then he just gets finished, I, I mean, I, I don't know how he comes back from that. But if anybody can do it, it, it is Izzy. But, you know, like you were alluding to, Alex Mahed is only going to get better. Like, what Izzy did with the wrestling i mean alex is going to be like that those were his rounds of success in those in those areas when i was uh standing with him izzy was always in danger izzy while izzy looked good and was was evading strikes and everything i never felt like izzy was out of danger whenever izzy was his back was going in, uh going to the cage i was yelling at the tv to, i was telling him to move because if alex gets you gets you there I mean, it's going to be, you, you know where he's going. He can't go many other places. He can either go escape right, escape left. But at, at every time that Izzy backed up to the fence, I was very concerned for him. And up to the fifth round, it was it was working. He would clinch. I mean, um, 
and all that. But then in the fifth round, after he checked that kick, it just seemed like his movement was so hindered uh, that Alex was able to catch him. I don't know, man. Unless Izzy can develop a, more power in his hands somehow, or unless he becomes a Habib Hamzat level wrestler, I don't know um, if he can beat Alex Pajeda because he's going to have to stay standing with that guy for an extended period of time. And I just, I just don't know if Izzy will be able to uh, to escape having to take that left. Yeah, um, it's it's interesting, man. And look, Israel can't hurt him, right? He hurt him in the kickboxing match. Um, he hurt him at the end of, was it round one? Yeah. On Saturday night. Like, we know he can hurt him, uh, but it's just, it's, the, it's just the difference of being able to put him away, right, when you land one of those, or hurt him enough to be able to have that opportunity um, like, like Pareda did in the fifth. Uh, let me, let me just say this. Alice can literally hurt him whenever he lands something. Right. I don't think that's the same with Izzy. Agreed. Izzy, Izzy has to land the right shot. Agreed. How many times can he land the right shot on Alex? That's, that's a very, very big question. hundred percent agree. And that's, that's the point I was going to make is he can hurt him, but it's, it's not, it's not him hurting him every time he touches him. Um, you know, that, that's where there's the discrepancy is you just feel like anytime potato lands, it's, it's going to be impactful to the fight, uh, rather than like scoring shots, right? Shots that are getting you points to win a round. Uh, these are actually, you know, I think potatoes have more of an impact on, on, uh, you as opposed to like the judges scoring a fight because you're getting touches. Um, but yeah, like it's, it, this was a great fight. I was on the edge of my seat the whole time because you knew the danger that was always present when when uh, Pereira was walking Israel Adesanya down. Uh, by the way, can I just say, like, Alex Pereira walked into the octagon, and I'm just like, this guy looks like the final boss in a Jean-Claude Van Damme, like, underground martial arts tournament movie, right? Like, this is the guy you would cast as the final boss that you've got to beat. Like, good lord. Yeah, how, how the camera just kept, like, the different camera angles. They were uh, below him looking up at him, and you could just see the stone-cold yeah. just expression on his face. Like, he looked so locked in. He looked like a guy who was going to kill someone. Um, I, I can't imagine standing across from the octagon from him. That's a scary individual. Yeah. I mean, throughout the whole week, I mean, he just looked like a very scary guy to deal with. I mean, I don't know how is he goes in there so confident with a guy like that. But, yeah. man, that's a scary individual, man. I think the, the other thing that sticks out to me about this fight and, you know, in terms of spinning this forward, like, Alex Pineda's never been through the grind that is a five-round fight in the UFC, right? And all that entails with mixed martial arts, not just kickboxing. If, if or I guess more than any other element, he's going to be significantly better going forward from just having experienced what that grind is for five full rounds and knowing what that gas tank um, requires of you and how to distribute, you know, all of that, that energy and gas tank the next time you're out there. Right. Cause that's one of those things we talk about this every time somebody goes into a five rounder, you just don't know how they're going to handle it. And you know, if they, do they save too much in the early rounds? Do they wait too long to start to let it go? Do they, do they gas themselves too soon? Like until you've been through that, it's kind of a guessing game. Yeah, and it's it's crazy that he's gaining this level of experience so early in his career. Like he's literally the UFC champion after uh, his seventh UFC or seventh MMA fight. It's it's crazy, but the fact I mean he's got a lot to work on. Obviously, Izzy took him down. That was his first takedown ever, and I think ever in MMA yeah, that was ever, his first yeah. takedown. And 
it didn't really look like he knew exactly what to do. Like we like we watch Khabib and Hamzad and Islam and all these all these great wrestlers do their thing. When Izzy had Alex on the ground, it you know you're like get your hooks in, you know, uh, like advanced position, you know, land strikes if that's what you want to do. Like commit to commit to something. It didn't seem like he was committed to anything. Like it seemed like he wanted to just rain down punches, but it also seemed like he wanted to take his back. It's just like Izzy, make up your mind. But you know that's his first takedown, so yeah. it's like, I mean, you can't really uh, get mad at him or anything. But yeah, for for Pajeda, uh, that's a it's a lot of valuable experience, and he's he's got a lot to work on because if he doesn't fight Izzy next, I mean, the guy who he's going to step in there with is going to be a a very very much improved wrestler than Izzy is. I mean, Marvin Vittori, Robert Whitaker, maybe Hamza Shemaev. So he's got a lot to work on in terms of the gas tank, in terms of the wrestling. But you saw a lot of good things, a lot of encouraging things from Alex Pajeda over 25 minutes, and yeah. especially the fact that he was able to finish the fight um, so deep into it. I think it's fascinating what's next because, again, as I referenced earlier, Izzy kind of mentioned that he's going to take some time off. I, you know, there's no, I haven't seen anything in terms of how long or, you know, there's a lot of, I think, rumors about what it is that's wrong with him. He had referenced Chadwick Boseman, right, in that post-fight press conference and how people were making fun of him without knowing, you know, what was really wrong with him. Um, so, you know, some people have thrown out, like, the idea of cancer and all that. Like, I'm not even going to guess um, what might be wrong with Izzy or what he has to take care of. Um, just in terms of the timeline, it's a complete unknown. So I don't know if the next time the middleweight title is on the line, if it's going to be Izzy then, or if is going to fight somebody else, uh, and eventually, like, it comes back around to Izzy. Izzy's going to get his shot when he's ready to fight, though. That's what we do know. When he's ready to go, he's going to get the shot. Does somebody else get an opportunity, though, in the meantime, while he's out? I think that's an interesting scenario because I feel like I've seen so many people over the last couple of days just say, like, any wrestler is going to beat Pereira, right? Because you saw the deficiencies in grappling, and if somebody gets a hold of him, I, I, I agree with the sentiment that they could dominate him on the ground. Similar to Izzy, though... Nobody's been able to get the fight there with Izzy. Why? Because of all of these physical advantages he has that Alex Pereira also has, and you add power to the equation as well. Like, yes, if he were to fight Derek Brunson and Derek Brunson gets him down, yes, that would be a Derek Brunson win in my mind. But can Derek Brunson get him to the ground? Like, I, I don't know. Alex Pereira can also stay a long way away, can also use his kicks to, to continuously touch you, and... He has a lot more dynamite in the strikes than Israel Adesanya does, which I, I would guess in some way makes it even more, um, I think, enticing for somebody to just recklessly try and take him down. We're on the same mind. Like, you literally took the words out of my mouth because I'm under the impression of, like, thinking about Robert Whitaker fighting Alex Pajeda. There is such a size discrepancy. And while Rob is outstanding, he's great. He's at such a size discrepancy. How are you going to dart in and out with Pajeda? Especially when Pajeda's got this power. Like, you can do it with Izzy. Like, you can take some chances. And you might get touched a little bit. But, you will you know, you can live to tell the tale because Izzy's just trying to touch you. If you make a false step with Alex Pajeda, you're going to sleep. Like, there's no in, if, ands, or buts about it. And... I, I'm not sure how much he thought this fight would be on the ground with Izzy. Yeah, Izzy's a kickboxer. He might have thought, like, maybe like there's a chance, but he probably thought there was a slim chance. Like, you and I thought that there was a slim chance that this fight would go to the ground. Very slim, yeah, for me at but least. But if he fights 
anybody else. Nobody's going to want to stand on the feet with Alex Pajeda. No, not, there's not one person in the top, any middleweight in the world for that instance. Nobody's going to want to stand right. with Alex Pajeda. So he's going to know to keep this fight at a distance. He's going to know where Izzy was successful, being at a distance, leg kick, body kick, head kick. And then if they get close, I've got a left hand of death. So I don't like the matchup with Alex Pajeda for anybody. I mean, you might be like, okay, Robert Whitaker, he's so skilled and all this. Like, maybe the one person that gives me a little bit of, like, maybe this could happen is Hamzat. Yeah. Because of how he fights. He literally marches forward and he doesn't, nobody can land a strike on him. Outside of that, I don't see anybody else. And maybe even with Hamzat, what's the, the, like, the size, there's a size discrepancy between Hamzat and, and Pajeda. Yeah. I mean, I, I call Hamza a weight bully. Alex Pajeda on fight day looks massive, so I don't, I don't know, man. I mean, that's that's an intriguing fight. I would love to see that one. But did you see the picture Alex of Pajeda. Pajeda next to Dominic Reyes? Yeah, of course. My God, man. Yeah. He looks Dominic I, Reyes. Look, he makes Dominic Reyes look tiny. And Dominic Reyes is is six four, two. Uh, I mean, a light, a solid light heavy. Yeah. <laughs> and Alex Pajeda made him look small. It was. It's crazy, man. But yeah, I don't like the Pajeda matchup for for any of these middleweights. I know that he got taken down and everything, but he's going to know that the takedown is coming from any other middleweight for sure. There will, I would imagine, with a dangerous grappler, there's going to be completely different distance management than there is with Israel Adesanya, right? Like, it's matchups create different fights. Like, you don't fight everybody the same. Um, I'll also say this: like, I, I think that sometimes there's a natural. Um, in your mind, there's like a natural math equation where you like look at a good grappler and just automatically assume that that person's going to be able to get the fight to the ground, right? Like just because they're a good grappler doesn't mean they're good at getting the fight to that point. Like those are different things. Like if the fight ends up there, then this person could be completely dominant. Getting the fight to end up there is a whole different story. That's, that's the thing. Like Israel Adesanya also... I think could have been dominated by a bunch of grapplers in this division, but getting the takedown to be able to grapple is a whole different story than just being a good grappler. And sometimes yeah. I think people just naturally assume if you're a good grappler, you're going to be good at getting the fight to the mat. And that's not always the case. But I mean, in a lot of cases that's true, but in, in this, in these cases with, with guys like Izzy and Alex Pajeda, that, I'm not going to say it's almost thrown out the window, but it's way harder than yeah. it. It's way easier said than done. Uh, like the, I feel like there's just like levels that you have to get through just to get to them. There's so much right. you have to get through just to get a hold of them. Like you've got to get through the legs. And then if you get through the legs, you have to get through the, the length of the arms and stuff like, and these guys are at such a size discrepancy. I just don't see like, unless Alex Pajeda is just, reckless if unless Israel Asanya is just reckless yeah. and they and they throw an overhand right with all their might and they slip and then they wind up on the ground like that's how I see it going so like Alex Pajeda against Izzy is is pressuring him pursuing him against Derek Brunson or somebody else he's going to be on the outside managing distance like it's a completely different fight right. these guys are just like outliers like I know Robert Whitaker is sick that Israel Asanya and Alex Pajeda just came into the equation in his prime because without those guys, we're looking at a we're, we might be looking at a dominant champion. A dominant champ, I agree. 
But Izzy and, and Alex Pajeda are just complete outliers to this whole thing. And it's, it's just crazy. I mean, there have been a few times where we've seen people get into Israel Adesanya. But again, Alex Pajeda has the same advantage. You're so tall, right? Like, you can fight off those takedowns against the against the cage really well. Like, it, even when you get to them, which is an incredibly difficult thing to do, like, taking a guy that is has that sort of size advantage down is, is very, very difficult. But, yeah, I, I do agree with all the people that share this thought, like, if Brunson were to get Pereira on the ground, he wins. I completely agree with that. If Vittori gets Brunson on the ground, he wins. I completely agree with that. Can those guys get it there? That's a completely different conversation uh, because that's that's the reason Izzy's been completely dominant. Is you know He has not allowed anybody to be able to do that, and I think just assuming that everybody's going to be able to take Alex Pereira down uh, would be to ignore why Alex Pereira and Israel is such a good matchup because they they share so many of those traits, but... Uh, either way, I, I'm I will be really excited when this fight, the rematch happens. It's going to be an entertaining fight again. Well, I might make the argument that when this fight does take place, you could be looking at you know depending on what that fight card looks like. But I mean, you could be looking at one of the most hyped fight cards and and certainly one of the most hyped main events in UFC history. Yeah, man. Uh, because I think just we're looking at something. That's completely different from what we were expecting. Like Israel Adesanya, if he would have won, we would have been thinking about, oh, okay, who's left? But like now Alex Pajeda wins, and now the, the focus shifts to how is Izzy going to beat him? Like Izzy was so close. Like it, it makes everything just so much more uh, intriguing. And I mean, even even for me, like I don't know how Izzy's going to approach uh, another fight with him, like physically, mentally. Like he just lost to this guy three times, um, lost his middleweight title. Uh, a big superstar, and then he loses to Alex Pajeda again. You know, I was thinking about this. Like, MMA is such an unforgiving sport, you know, because, like, if yeah. this were a movie, if this if this whole thing were a movie, Izzy wins this fight. Like, if this was WWE scripted stuff, Izzy wins this. <laughs> like, there's no way yeah. that the boogeyman from your past comes in and beats you again in, in a movie. But in MMA, <laughs> I yep. mean, it happens to him again. Jean Claude Van Damme didn't lose to Tong Po, right? <laughs> right, exactly. And, and and the fact that Izzy was so close to winning, like what the, what the heck? Who 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 writes stuff like this? Of course not. It's not written. It's real. Uh, it's such an unforgiving sport. I, you know, you feel for Izzy for being such a dominant champion and, and then losing to the to the guy again. But if like I said before, if anybody can do it, it's Israel Adesanya. But the yep. task is just, it's a very, very, very tall task. How great have the title fights been in 2022? This is the third title fight in which a belt has exchanged hands in the fifth round where the challenger has defeated the champion by getting a finish in a fight that they are on their way to losing, right? I mean, Leon Edwards is down 3-1, absolutely has to have a finish, gets the finish. Uh, Alex Pineda is down 3-1, clearly. Like, these weren't even rounds that are up for discussion, right? Clearly down 3-1, has to get a finish to, to, to win the fight, gets the finish. Uh, Glover Teixeira and Yuri Prohaska, that was a 2-2 fight, but Teixeira had completely dominated the fifth and was, I don't even remember the time left now, 30 seconds, 40 seconds away from becoming champion after dominating the fifth round in a 2-2 fight, and Yuri is able to pull out the submission and get the finish for the win. I mean, like... Speaking of movie-type finishes, we've had three movie-type finishes in terms of, you know, the challenger getting the belt when basically 
all the odds are against them in the final stages of a fight. Yeah, I think it speaks to the evolution of the sport because back in the day, these are things that you would never see. Um, you never see uh, a challenger rise from the ashes in the fifth round to beat uh, a dominant champion. We've seen dominant champions go down, and not that Glover was a dominant champion, but he was clearly winning that fight. Um, Prohos- I mean, that was a crazy fight. So- but then Usman and Edwards, like a dominant champion like Kamaru Usman, um, in the in, in years past, we've seen John Jones, George St. Pierre, Anderson Silva, Jose Aldo, they always get the job done. So the fact that these dominant champions like Kamaru Usman and Israel Adesanya lose it in the fifth round in fights they are dominating, it's just different. And the, and the fact that it that has happened three different times this year alone, uh, it's crazy. We're, I mean, I feel like it's unprecedented. We're in uncharted waters right now um, with, the, with the UFC. And I just think it speaks to the evolution of the sport. Um, like these guys coming up, uh, the champions that there are now, uh, I mean, no one's safe. No one is at a spot where they're just going to be a dominant champion anymore. And like Izzy was there, but the UFC literally brought in the worst matchup. <laughs> and like they're like, okay, here, let's see if you can do it now. I mean, the, the matchups are all fantastic. Like we may not see a dominant champion. We'll see what what Islam does. Like we've got Volkanovski, who's a dominant featherweight champion. I don't know if anybody can take him out, but like the, the featherweight division is getting loaded. Uh, the lightweight division, it's it's loaded uh, behind uh, Islam and stuff. So I don't know, man. I mean, we'll see what happens going forward. But I mean, this this sport, it's getting so tight at the top. Like there's the, the I think the the era of the dominant champions might have might be coming to an end. We might be just got we've got a few left. We've got Islam and we got Alex. But, you know, one of those guys is going to lose in February. Yeah. So I said at the beginning of this year that I thought unless it was Hamza Chemaev, there was zero chance that Kamaru Usman would lose his belt. I thought there was, I mean, negative one million chance that Israel Adesanya would lose the middleweight belt. And I mean, in a few months of each other, the two most dominant champions in the men's divisions have lost their belt. I mean, Valentina Shevchenko and Amanda Nunes better hold on to those belts very tight, right? Like, if that is possible for for Usman and and for uh, Adesanya, I mean, who knows, right? Like, the, crazy. Both of those guys just seem to be so far ahead of all of their peers in those weight divisions. I mean, look at what we've seen. We've seen Amanda Nunes lose already. Yeah. We saw we saw her lose to Pena, even though that wasn't this year. We we've seen her lose. We saw Valentina nearly lose to Talia Santos. Like. There's a lot of the MMA community who think that Talia Santos won that fight. We just saw Usman lose, Izzy lose. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm really scared for my guy John Jones. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if if he ever makes it back, like this, this is a guy who's who hasn't lost. I mean, people can say what they will about Thiago Santos and uh, the Dominic Reyes fights, but the guy got his hand raised in all those fights. I'm scared for him when he comes back because you're you're fighting Francis. I know he wants to fight Stipe. Because the matchup is very favorable for him. But I think he's going to have to come back against a Francis, Cyril Gunn. I don't like those matchups for him. But like we're, we're getting to a point where the people who we thought were so dominant are, are facing these matchups that I'm not going to say are terrible for them, but where they can lose. And we've yeah. seen it happen with all of the great champions. Could, like, I know if, if, I can, if you came to me from the future... And back in uh, back in 2020, and you told me, hey, look, man, 
Kamara Usman's going to lose this title. Israel Adesanya is going to lose this title. Amanda Nunes is going to lose this title. Valentina Shevchenko is going to nearly lose her title. Like, if you would have told me that, I would have been like, bullshit. Like, oh, like right. Rose Nami Yunus, you would have told me that? Maybe Rose, I would have believed a little bit more. But, like, if all those people lose their belts, like, I would have never believed you. And the fact that we're here and all, and we're just, like, in uncharted waters. It, yeah. It's crazy. It's a crazy time that we're in. It just speaks to how good or how many just elite people, right, men and women, how many elite fighters there are right now in this promotion, number one. Uh, number two, I mean, this is why the sport is so great, right? Like, we hear the term in football any given Sunday. Like, on any given Sunday, anything can happen. On any given Saturday night, right? Like, who knows? And, you know, for three, like, major champions in big-time spotlight uh, divisions in this sport to lose the way they did with Teixeira, Adesanya, and Glover Teixeira in the fifth round of a fight that they are close to retaining their belts— I mean that is that like that's you can't you can't make that up you can't script that sort of thing it's it's absolutely wild man absolutely wild I was thinking about this too we do our end of the year like fight awards when the after the final fight card of, of the year happens and throughout the year I like kind of keep a list of like every time I see something so I don't forget it like I just kind of put it on the list um, like championship fight of the year fight of the year like what a monumental task that is going to be in 2022. Yeah, that's gonna like, be a, that's, that, that is gonna be a monumental task. I mean, we got we were at a point where like we were going like week to week to week where there was fights where like oh that fight's gonna be a fight of the year contender. That fight's a fight of the year contender. I mean, there's fights that we forgot about that are probably that that are fight of the year contenders. I know we've got one that's probably standing out above the rest, but we can't forget yeah. about what we've seen this year. Hamza Gilbert Burns, um, uh, Yuri Glover, of course. Like I know Poirier Chandler happened. Saturday, and it's probably going to stand the test of time in, t- in terms of the fight of the year for this year. But those fights from earlier this year were phenomenal. They were fantastic. And when we look back, we're going to be like, fuck. Yeah. That was a, those, those were some pretty amazing fights. So I thought yeah. Poirier Chandler was great, and I don't even know, Will, even as fresh as it is, because usually, you know, the way we, we feel about fights after they've happened versus after time has passed is, is sometimes different. But I don't even think that makes my top three or maybe even top five of this year. That's cr- that's how it's crazy t- this is. It's definitely made my top five. I mean, I don't think there's five. Well, maybe there has been. I, I mean, maybe there has been. Maybe that's recency bias. Maybe I'm not thinking of all of the fights. But that fight was in, was incredible on Saturday uh, uh, with Poirier Chandler. Um, Yuri Glover. I don't know. Um, Gaethje Oliveira. Um, you know, Usman Edwards is kind of a weird one because it wasn't necessarily a great fight as much as it had, like, the greatest finish in UFC history. Um you mentioned Jemiah Burns. How about Yon O'Malley? That, yeah. that was a fight of the year candidate. Absolutely. A, a couple weeks ago. I think like that one is kind of marred by the fact that most people felt like Yon won the fight. That was a for for 15 minutes. That was a great fight. Like it, just a ton of great fights all year long. Anyway, that that's going to be that was just a, a thought I had over the weekend. Like that's going to be a fun podcast episode when we finally hand out awards. Uh, because I'm going to feel guilty about not giving awards to some of these because maybe in, in other years they're probably deserving. But, yeah, what a year it's been. All right, co-main event. Now two-time champion Zhang Wei Li defeats two-time champion Carla Esparza 
in pretty dominant fashion, right? I mean, she was a heavy favorite. I think we kind of expected that the fight would look similar to, to what ultimately took place. But, man, Zhang Wei Li absolutely delivered on the big stage, uh, is is now a two-time champion, and, uh, you know, I think is, is absolutely etching her name into the uh, Mount Rushmore of that division. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that the 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 difference in athletic ability really was on display. And the fact that there's a, such a difference in athletic ability, plus the fact that Zhang Wei Li is getting so, so much better in other aspects of MMA outside of her stand-up, I mean, it's just a recipe for a disaster for someone like Carla Esparza, who, who's really one-dimensional. Uh, I mean, she's so small, but she's got a, a strong wrestling base. But, like, her striking isn't anything special, and Zhang Weili's becoming well-rounded. So, like like you said, everyone expected this to to, to happen. Uh, I mean, Carla's great, two-time champion, like you said. But um, Weili was going to fight her, and I, I feel like if Rose would have fought Carla, um, Rose would have won. I mean, Carla's great, yeah. but, like, I think there's just levels to this. And um, in terms of the evolution of women's MMA, like— Rose and Wei Li are just at a level above her. Um, I kind of feel bad for Carla because she was kind of dealt a bad hand through, throughout this whole thing. I mean, the the crowd was booing her. She tried to throw the uh, the American stuff at the presser and still got booed. Oh, that was I mean... such a cringy moment, right? <laughs> because they were talking to Zhang Wei Li and she like interrupts and she's like, "I'm gonna bring, I'm gonna keep this belt right here in the USA." And everybody's like, "Boo!" It was just like, oh, oh man. So you yeah. you know when you throw out the whole like USA thing and still get booed that there is venom there because you I mean usually that's the go to like easy get people to cheer and and the New York crowd was not having it at all uh, I mean I think w when you have a stinker like what what happened with Rose and then you know Rose is such a fan favorite and when people think you you're not supposed to be the champion anyway and uh, you're in this spot um, and Wei Li is such a fan favorite and she's had such great fights. Everybody knows who they want to be champion. No, nobody really wants Carla Esparza to be champion. Um, so, I mean, we saw what we saw. Uh, you know, she was dealt a bad hand, but um, I I'm glad that she did get another reign with the title. Yeah. After you know her first reign ended so abruptly, and everything, uh, it's great that she worked her way back up after eight years, uh, won the title back, and then got to be in a big fight at Madison Square Garden. So there's a lot for her to look at and to be positive about. I know she's. Uh, devastated that she lost and got finished and everything. But, I mean, I think she can look back on this title reign, the fact that she got married and got to walk down the aisle with the belt. So there's a lot of positive things that happened for her throughout this title reign. But um, I think that Weili Zhang match is just, I mean, nine times out of ten, probably nine and a half out of ten, uh, Weili wins that, especially with how much she's getting better. So congrats to the new champ. Yeah. What's next for the champ? Sometimes what I want to happen and what I think is going to happen are different. Sometimes it's the same. I would say in this scenario, what I want to see and what I think will happen are the same thing. I want to see Zhang Weili and Amanda Lemos. I think the UFC will make Zhang Weili and Amanda Lemos. Yeah, absolutely. The UFC has liked Amanda Lemos since from the beginning. She's been in big spot after big spot, even after she got finished by a standing arm triangle, she was still put in a big spot on ABC against a fan favorite. So she was, she's been gaining fans and gaining popularity and everything throughout this uh, whole uh, chance. So she fights uh, Marina Rodriguez and then gets the knockout. So like the fact that she beats someone who was on the cusp of a title shot, like, and the, the matchup itself is so 
so, it's so intriguing. Yeah. Like, if you can put somebody in there against Zhang Weili, you throw in someone like Amanda Lemos, who is, who's explosive, who's got power. I mean, it's like two trucks, you know, head-on collision. You know, it's, it's that type of thing. So um, I think that's a fantastic matchup for the fans. And uh, I don't know who I favor in that one because, like, you can't sleep on Amanda Lemos' power. Um, and, the, and, you know, maybe Weili just resorts to wrestling. I think that's just a very uh, fascinating fight. But I want to throw this one at you. Not that I think this is going to happen next or anything, but if you remember when Rose beat Whaley for the second time back in uh, last year at, at MSG, we were talking about what would be next for Whaley after losing to Rose twice. I said maybe she should go up and fight Valentina for the for the flyweight title. I think we might be close to something like that happening. I don't know what's next for Valentina. Everything's pretty much up in the air. But I think if Whaley wanted to. I think she could go up and challenge Valentina right now. But especially if she wins, if she defends the title just one time, let's say she beats Lemos, and then she gets on the mic and calls out Valentina. I think that would be a very, very interesting fight because the fact that Whaley is getting so much better and then the fact that she's so fast, she's so athletically gifted, I think that's something that Valentina hasn't really seen. So I think that would be a very interesting fight. I wanted to get your take on that. So I, I am still firmly in the camp of my appetite for the trilogy fight between Valentina and Amanda is here and I'm ready for that to happen. And that would take precedent for me. So if given the choice, I would like to see champions meet up, but I would like to see Valentina and Amanda. If they're not going to make that fight, then yeah, I love that idea. Absolutely. Um, Cause you know, you can make the argument that uh, Amanda Lemos, you know, hasn't earned it quote unquote, I guess, if, if you want to say that, um, you know, I, I think that, the fact that she beat Marina, who I felt like was next, um, puts her in that position. But yeah, like I'm, I'm in if they wanted to make the Valentina Zhang Wei Li fight. I think that um, I'd be curious to see um, what the the uh, strength discrepancy is when those two actually like uh, clinched or something like that. But yeah, I would I would be very curious to see that fight. I would still favor I think Valentina um, by a pretty decent margin. But you know Zhang Wei Li is at least athletically explosive enough that I think that makes that a very intriguing fight. Um, yeah, if they don't make the Amanda fight, yeah, make Zhang Wei Li. I'm in. I just don't know how much Amanda wants that fight now. I, yeah. I, I mean, I feel like if she really wanted that fight, like this fight would be happening by now. Because I think Valentina has come around to the idea. Uh, she's, talk, she's talked in interviews and saying like, um, like at first she didn't have like the appetite to go up, but like Lately, uh, she's had the appetite to go up. She's she said it numerous times. She wants to go up and become a double champion. Uh, I want to see that fight happen. I think the world wants to see that fight happen, especially now that they've both built these resumes as dominant champions. Um, I would love to see what that looks like now. But, I mean, I, I just don't know. Because, like, there's no clear contender for Amanda. Like, who who's, right. who's Amanda going to fight at 135? Agreed. You can have her fight Juliana again, but, like, that fight was so lopsided that Maybe Juliana needs to win another one yeah, before let she that fights one rest. Magic. Yeah. yeah, let that one rest. So who's she going to fight? Bring in Valentina. Valentina I'm is in. automatically the, the, the number one contender in that, in that division if she went up anyway. So I'm, in. Uh, I'm with you. I, I want to see Amanda and Valentina, but I just don't know how much Amanda wants that fight right now. But we'll see. Where are you at with Rose potentially getting a title shot? Because obviously she beat Wei Lee twice in title fights. So, like, if you're in the Rose camp, like, there's an argument to be made that she has two wins over Wei Li in title fights. She should get the next shot. 
Um, I, I can see why that argument makes sense. Uh, I'm going to throw you a curveball here. Stylistically, the fight I want to see next for Rose is is Marina. Like Marina just lost. Rose is coming off a loss. Like Marina Rose. Like let's let's see those two fight if Limosh is next. Um, or I mean, if if Zhang Wei Li went up, Limosh Rose would be a lot of fun. Seeing how Carla Esparza was greeted in New York City following the trash, arguably worst title fight in UFC history, I know that Rose is just overall more likable than Carla, so it wouldn't be as bad. I think I've come around on, let's get Rose and Carla back in there and make them fight. Like, let's shed, let's get that fight out of, out of our memories by having them, excuse me, give us something different. Like, that fight was so hard to digest. Like, let's, let's relive something different when we think of Rose and Carla. Could you imagine the, the outpour of disgust yes. that yes. the MMA world would come together and spew yes. if Rose and Carla was just even announced? I 1,000% agree that Rose and Carla should fight again Yeah, because I kind of feel like that was just a wash. You could just kind of kind of throw that away and like let's let make y'all fight again so you can give us something different it was so kinda bad like i don't want to remember carla or rose for that fight like i don't want that to be in my memory <laughs> exactly i'm with you um I, i'm i'm 1000 with you but like i don't think i mean i i feel like rose might should take another fight yeah before she fights for the title because like Mentally, you wonder where Rose is at, you know, especially after losing the way that she lost and and how she fought that fight. I don't know how much, you know, going into a championship fight, like, I don't know how, how that would work with Rose. I feel like Rose should go and fight a Marina Rodriguez or a Carla Esparza, but I just think that the MMA world would just be so disgusted by that fight that, I mean, they might just have to scrap that fight and just book something different. Oh, you definitely have to be- put that in the apex with no fans, right? Like you're not putting that in front of a live crowd. It would have to be a fight night main event at the apex where you're not letting people in the door. Like that's the only way you could do it. And, and when you say nobody, it's got to be like uh, that one guy written out the place. Again. Like Zuckerberg. Oh, yeah. Huckerberg. Yeah. 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 Uh, it's gotta be, it's gotta be something like that. Yeah, hit up Zuckerberg and be like, Hey, we're going to give you one more opportunity to, to have the <laughs> apex to yourself. It's going to be Rose and Carla. We don't want anybody there. They don't want anybody there. This needs to be settled, but not in front of a live crowd. And, and Dana would, would, really do that and be like yeah we had we had tickets we had a lot of people who wanted to get in but uh zuckerberg just really just uh rented out the place again right. we decided like yeah you know how dana is but yeah i'm, I'm with you it, it would have to be something like that for this fight to be able to take place i mean i i can't imagine i mean the, the world would want to see rose fight but the fact that that fight was such a stinker i mean uh yeah and like even hearing rose like double down on Like, I I read a quote uh, a couple weeks ago where she said, like, and I'm paraphrasing here, but something along the lines of, like, fighting is like art, right? And everybody is, like, you know, making their own art, and sometimes beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And um, she was just basically saying, like, she was happy with, like, the art that she created on that night. And I was like, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Like, no, we have to move past this. Like, we can't, that can't be okay with everybody. (laughs) For the love of God, that can't be okay with anybody. Yeah, that was such a weird fight. And I felt like after the fight was over, as soon as the um the, the buzzer sounded for the end of the fight, 
she, she yelled, I'm the best. Yeah. I'm the best. Like she was so sure that she won. And I'm just like, what is re- what is even happening? I mean, that was one of those fights where no one deserved to win, but you just had to pick a winner. Like I wouldn't have been mad if there was just a draw, like a zero zero draw. The judges score this fight zero to zero, yes. zero to zero, zero to zero. Um, For the first time but, in UFC history, the judges have refused to score this fight. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's what that fight re- represented. But I mean, Rose is, is a delicate flower of an individual. Um, you you like that she's not taking this as hard as yeah. as she could be uh, with all the fans, with all of the the uproar of disapproval. Um, I just wonder what she looks like in her return. And I think you have to put her in there with someone who's going to fight her like uh, Marina Rodriguez or you do Jessica Andrade's trilogy. But it has to be someone who's going to fight her, um, not a Carla Esparza. Yeah. All right, Dustin Poirier, Michael Chandler. This was the fight of the night. I mean, this one had all the hype. Dustin Poirier only fights in fight of the night, fight of the year type of fights. Michael Chandler only fights in fight of the night, fight of the year type of fights. These two against each other, I mean, it's set up to be great. It was absolutely great. Um, I think we both felt like Dustin Poirier was just all around better uh, than Michael Chandler. Um, although I, I did feel like if there were to be grappling in this fight that Michael Chandler would have a massive advantage, which I think we saw in the second round. Um, it is crazy that he was trying to do that in the third, and that was ultimately uh, what gave Poirier the opportunity to get the submission. But, Will, that first round, that first five minutes was spectacular. And I told you this this morning as we were doing the radio show. Like, it's crazy at the end of that fight, knowing the big exchanges that they had, how Dustin Poirier looked like basically he had just like, you know, went out and run a few miles. Like he was red, he's breathing hard, um, he's definitely sweaty, but he like he didn't look beat up. Michael Chandler looked like he had been through an all-out war, right? The difference in the damage that Poirier gave Chandler as opposed to the other way around was was very shocking to me. Yeah, I think most of that was like, even though Chandler was landing punches, Poirier had his guard up. Yeah. I feel like Poirier was hitting him flush right. and Chandler had his hands down a lot of the time. So like that, that shot that Poirier landed to just completely destroy Michael Chandler's nose, it landed flush and it was a straight left. Like I, I'm not going to say I forgot how good Dustin Poirier is, but I was completely reminded just how good that guy is. Like you have the Charles Oliveira fights, you have the Conor McGregor leg break. So you didn't really see like, all the, the complete arsenal, but like you got to see on display Dustin Poirier in war mode, just completely. Um, how, like it, it's weird because like it's it's in it's war mode, but it's just he's so skilled and like he puts it together in yeah. a way that not many people in the UFC uh, can do. And like Michael Chandler is phenomenal, but in a war, like I'm always gonna go with the more technical guy. And Dustin Poirier, with the power and his boxing, with his jiu-jitsu and everything that he brings to the table, he showed on Saturday just how good that he is, man. Um, Chandler threw the kitchen sink at him, literally. And uh, he had him him hurt a few times in the first round. I was scared for Poirier. I I texted you, like, what the fuck happened to Dustin's defense? Like, he he had his hands up and everything, but it just seemed like he was letting Chandler tee off on him. I'm like, what is going on? Uh, But in the second round, Chandler took him down. Uh, Poirier had a good finish in the first round. Uh, Chandler took him down in the second, but then in the third round, I think Chandler was just exhausted, yeah. mouth open, nose completely destroyed. Uh, he tried to take him down in a in a big action, t- uh, pick him up, put him down, 
but uh, Poirier was able to reverse it and, and get the submission. Man, it was an outstanding fight. But uh, yeah, uh, Chandler looked like a horror movie star after that fight was over. I think that like those two guys, that is the difference between elite skill and elite power, right? Chandler has elite power, but Poirier has elite skill. And I think it would have been incredibly foolish of Dustin Poirier in the first two or three minutes of that fight to just try to exchange with Chandler when he's most dangerous, right? Like, I, I think he was trying to be as defensively sound as possible early, let Chandler throw all of his big shots, and then you start to pick him apart. Um, I think, unfortunately, he got caught with one that, you know, even though he was playing defensive, like, if he wasn't defensive, it probably puts him out, right? If that's clean, he's probably out. But he said after the fight, like, he got me with one that buzzed me, and I was in danger. And I think he was just trying to survive. And, you know, because he he did keep the guard up and didn't try to fight back, I think he had to eat more shots. But I think ultimately that's what allowed him to survive. And when, you know, he he ultimately um, came back, he was able to finally put it on Chandler. And, yeah, I mean, you mentioned the montage of shots in that final minute. Like, all of Dustin Poirier's were just flush and on the money. And, uh, you know, in, even in the Oliveira fight, Will, like, there. Most of the stand-up was heavily in favor of Dustin. Oliveira's best stuff was in the clinch, and then obviously the way that in the grappling and obviously getting the finish when he took his back. But when they were just standing and not clinching, just trading, like Poirier almost got him a couple times, right? Like he is elite in that way. He's so clean, and uh, that was why I felt like he was going to win this fight. I I said, though, last week, like Chandler to me, outside of just landing the big shot, which is a possibility always with a guy like that, Chandler's path is is wrestling. And if he's able to get Dustin down, just grinding him down because like Poirier's ground defense is so interesting to me. It almost feels like going back to the Khabib fight, going back to uh, the Oliveira fight, like when he gets taken down, like I kind of feel like he is just willing to ride that round out until they can stand up again. Right? Like, I think if you get him down, you have a big opportunity to finish the fight because he's not looking to get up. He's looking to just survive being in that moment and looking to then capitalize when the new round starts. Um, and I, I, I felt like Chandler did not capitalize in that second round as much as he could have. Um, I, I saw some people throw out the idea of a 10-8 in that round. Like, yes, it was a dominant round in terms of control, but the UFC's literally been telling us that there is a, a giant emphasis on damage. And just because you control somebody for, for the majority of the round doesn't equate to a 10-8 round. There has to be some damage there, and I didn't feel like the damage warranted a two-point round in, in Chandler's favor, but, uh, you know, he obviously tried to grapple again in the third, and, you know, the the wild exchange ultimately resulted in Poirier getting a, a really good position. Yeah, um, that second round, like you said, um, his defense, I think the Khabib thing, how he got submitted and everything, um, I think that kind of haunts him. Yeah. Because uh, that Oliveira fight, he literally gave up that round because he didn't want to get finished. He knows how dangerous Oliveira is on the ground. So, like, you understand a little bit. But, like, Dustin, like, have some faith in your defense and your ju- in your own jiu-jitsu. Um, I think he did a good job of not getting getting submitted, but I think a lot of that had more to do with Chandler not capitalizing, like you said. Uh, because I think if that were, like, an Islam, he probably gets finished. Um, yeah. I-, I think Chandler was just so gassed, and then the fact that his nose was destroyed you know i think there was just a, a lot leaking mess working yeah. against chan working against chandler and then the fact that um he didn't really have the hooks like both hooks in yeah uh it, it was just a weird position and i think chandler could have did more but i think he may have been trying to preserve his gas i don't really know 
Um, but Chandler had opportunities he didn't capitalize. But yeah, Poirier's ground defense it's it's weird, but he did a good job of defending. So and he and he lasted throughout the round, and he did a a, a way better job coming out in the third round um, than he did against Oliveira yeah. after giving up a round. So. Uh, there's there's cause to be encouraged, but you know I think that's still like if Dustin were to fight Islam, I think we both have a pretty good idea oh. of how that fight would go. I so, hate that I hate I that mean, I know how that fight would go because I love Dustin Poirier. Yeah. I mean he's he's my favorite fighter. He he and Gaethje are my favorite fighters in the UFC. But yeah, I, I like that that is a nightmare matchup, unfortunately. Yeah, because like he's got Khabib level strength, and you know his takedowns. I mean there's not yeah. there hasn't been anybody who's been able to do anything with those takedowns. And Dustin doesn't seem like he's a guy. I think the the stand-up would be very interesting, but I think once it gets to the ground, it's right. over. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what's next for Dustin, uh, being the being the guy who's had two title defenses. We do have a new champion, so I think there's a new lease on life for him in that division. So, I mean, it's it's very interesting. Well, they they officially announced. Oh, let me before I forget, let me say this. Uh, there was a sequence where where Poirier was trying to get up and. Chandler fish hooked him right and that's what he was mad about at the end of the fight um so um I I, I don't want to not give him credit for that uh because there you know he didn't completely ride it out the entire round there was a moment where he he did attempt to get up but he got fish hooked by bloody fingers how about how about Chandler in the in the post fight presser to say yeah there was a moment where my fingers just happened oh, to, yeah. to land in yeah. his like bro they showed that on the replay. You literally stuck your oh, fingers yeah. in his mouth. It was trying to. You, that was completely on purpose. Like, yeah. I know Chandler likes to play, likes to be this fun-loving, you know, guy and all this stuff. All American, my bootstrap uh, type persona. Yeah. yeah. Come on, man. Don't lie to us like that. Like, come on, bro. Like, you were you were doing some dirty shit. Just you know. Yeah. As Draymond Green would say, stand on that. That's right. That's right. Like he was mad that Dustin called him dirty at the end of the fight. Like, bro, you. You literally did something dirty. Like, yeah. He's like, I, I would have handled it differently. I'm like, nah, okay, bro. <laughs> maybe you would have, but like, you're all like, that's maybe you would have handled it differently, but you're, you're basically trying to like make it seem like he's unjustified in saying what he said, which what he said was accurate. What happened was dirty. Yeah. Not only that, but then spewing out your blood on, on Poirier, like that shit was disgusting. Like, come on, man. Yeah. So yeah. Poirier had every right to feel the way he felt and and to say the things that he said. And he was still, after the fight, giving him props. Yeah, like, of course he was. He went up to him respectfully and said, like, you're a dirty motherfucker. Like, yes, you are, Michael Chandler. Like, that was dirty what yeah. you did. But at least he is man enough to go up there and say it to your face and still give you props and by you props, saying, like, yeah. hey, I was scared to fight you and all that stuff. Um, and to show you respect. But, yeah, you did some dirty stuff. Stand on it. Yeah. Like, hey. I was trying to win. I was, you know, we're it's war. Like if Michael Chandler would have said this is war, nobody would have had a problem with it. <laughs> like this, this is war. But I'm sure Dustin would have said like, keep it clean, like keep it classy. But right. yeah, w- when you're in the moment, it's war. Like come on, man. Yeah, that was that. Yeah, that was just kind of like come on, come on, man. Um, all right. So what's next? Um, I texted you this after the fight. Like I, I love the idea of Poirier and Dariush. I believe Dariush should be next in line for the belt. Um, if he's going to fight again before Islam and Volk is determined, then I, Dustin Poirier, Benil Dariush, I think stylistically is a great fight. Um, Dariush obviously deserves that sort of platform against a guy that has that sort of star power in, in Dustin Poirier. Again, if he wants to fight, because um, I think he is, he is definitely in the front of the line for me. But if he wants to fight, I love that matchup, and it would be fun. Yeah, um... I think we've reached a point in this division where 
the stars, the big money players, like we were at a point where they were just fighting each other at the top of the division as, and kind of holding things up. But I think now we've reached a point where the stars, the money, the big money guys are having to fight these prospects, these young, hungry prospects and these other contenders like the Benil Dariushes of the world. I think um, there's one more big money fight to make. Um, but I think but I also think that Poirier Dariush is the clear next fight to make because Dariush is the number one contender in my mind. Uh, I, well, of course, you got Oliveira and who wants to take some time off. But I think that Dariush and Poirier is the clear next fight to make, especially with Oliveira taking some time off. I think that you make uh, Justin Gaethje versus Vasiv. And uh, I think you have to make Michael Chandler and Conor McGregor. I think that's the big money fight that you need to make. I don't think Chandler's really close to a title shot. And I think that McGregor being away for so long, you can, you don't, like the title doesn't have to be involved. I think that can be separate from the lightweight division. So, um, I would do Gaethje, Oliver, uh, Gaethje Vaziv. I would do Poirier Dariush. I would do um, McGregor Chandler. Um, I, if I was Charles, let this division kind of shake out for a while, sit back and just watch, uh, and then come back when when you feel like it's necessary. Uh, I don't know who that would be against. But, um, yeah, I think those are some really good matchups. I think Vaziv deserves a big-time fight, and I think Dariush des- des- deserves a big-time fight. So, these big money players are going to have to put their ranking aside and start taking these these fights. You know what fight I like better than Chandler McGregor? Gaethje McGregor. <laughs> that was that was that that was my next. Like if if I were booking it, I would say give me Connor and Chandler because I feel like that would be a fight that Connor would take. I feel like Connor would definitely want to fight Chandler over Gaethje. Oh, a hundred percent. Because like. 100%. Right. So, yeah. like, in terms of what I would want to see, of course, it's Gaethje and, and and McGregor. Like, Gaethje said so many awful things about McGregor. Like, every time he talks about McGregor, he's saying fighting words. Um, Chandler is at least like respectful about it, but Gaethje, like, you can tell he has legit disdain for Conor McGregor. Yeah. So I would love to see that fight, but um, it, he Gaethje said uh, in in his uh, media scrum before the fight, he said that uh, Oliveira makes a lot of sense for him next and. Rafael Vasiv, I think Vasiv that uh, against Gaethje would be a phenomenal fight. Um, that would be something yeah. that I would love to see. But if Gaethje, if we can get Gaethje and McGregor in there, you got to make that happen. Yeah. But I just really feel I really feel like Chandler's going to be the guy. Also, I and um, I, I also like I like Gaethje McGregor better, and I actually like Chandler Vasiv better. See. I wouldn't want to see that just because Chandler just lost. If he hadn't just lost, because like Vasiv is on a winning streak, you know, I don't think Chandler deserves a Vasiv right now. I think Vasiv is on that. Chandler's only deck. fought elite guys, and Vasiv's not fought any of the elite guys. I think it's the perfect meeting point. Well, he fought RDA. RDA was like at that meeting point, no? I mean, I, do you feel like RDA is in the Poirier Gaethje? Uh, Oliveira, Islam, like that. Like I feel like RDA is a tier down. Like, but I I also feel that way about Chandler. So I feel like if well, that's Chandler, I don't, I don't know that yet though. Yeah, I don't know that about Chandler yet though. I just he's lost to Gaethje, Poirier, and Oliveira. Like he's lost to the elite guys. So maybe he is a level down, or 
maybe he's elite and just happens to have lost to the, you know, three of the other elite guys. Like to me, that's the perfect meeting point of is does Fazeev prove that he's on that level? And, you know, does Chandler, does Chandler, you know, like is Chandler the gatekeeper to the elite of the elite? Like, I hate to say that term, but. Either way, I mean, either way you spin it, all those matchups are very, very interesting. I mean, Fazeev against Chandler. I mean, I don't know how much Chandler would use his wrestling, but I mean, we haven't seen anyone really get Fazeev down, so that would be very interesting. Fazeev's takedown and defense if that's is a f- phenomenal. Phenomenal. And, and then if it's just a firefight, like, who, I mean, I know Chandler's lost some of these wars, but like, who do you favor in a firefight between Chandler and Fazeev? I mean, I think it would be great. Uh, and the same thing with Gaethje. Who do you favor in a firefight between Gaethje and, and Fazeev? I think Fazeev's speed is going to be a problem for Gaethje. So it's very, very interesting at the top of the division for sure. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, there's not a bad way to go there, right? Not at all. Like, it's it's an abundance of riches at the top. Um, all right, I'm going to skip a fight that I want to come back to in terms of the order in which this card happened. Because we're talking about the lightweight division, I want to jump to the Dan Hooker fight, and then uh, we can talk about the Renato Moicano fight um, while we're talking about lightweights, and then we'll swing back to uh, Frankie Edgar and Chris Gutierrez. Um, Dan Hooker with the win over Claudio Poyes. This was the first fight on the main card. Uh, Good to see Dan Hooker back in the win column. Good to see, I mean, clearly, Will, like the ceiling and the level that Dan Hooker at is at is miles above where Claudio Poyes is at. Um, so I, I was happy to see Dan Hooker look great in this fight, get the win, get back in the win column, and you know we'll we'll spin that forward in a moment. On the other side of this, for Claudio Poyes, this was the opportunity of a lifetime, right? Like this is, I think, the best division in the sport, and you're getting an opportunity against a gigantic name in the lightweight division on the main card of the best pay-per-view of the year, like, if nothing else, just go out on your shield, right? Like, this was the type of performance that I was like, Dana is not going to be happy about this. I even text you, like, RIP, uh, feeling like Claudio Poyas is never going to get this type of opportunity again. I think Ben Askren even tweeted, like, he wouldn't be surprised if Poyas was fired over a fight like that on this card with that sort of spotlight. Like, I, I, you know, it, it's not us in there that, that are in danger. I, I you know, so I, I, I'm, I'm very aware of like criticizing somebody that's putting themselves in jeopardy, but that's the sort of fight with that type of opportunity that you just felt like, man, those don't come very often for you to get that shoulder tap and get that chance. And for it to go that way where the entire building is booing, not, not good, not good for business at all. Yeah, it was good to see Dan Hooker get his mojo back. He looked confident. He looked composed the entire fight. He knew what uh, Poyas wanted to do. And then eventually it got to the point where everyone in the entire arena knew exactly what Poyas wanted to do. Uh, and he was fortunate in, in, in a way that just like, bro, you're not going to get that. Try something else or just just fight like he wasn't fighting. And he like you said, go out on your shield Um it seemed like he, once he once he realized that he wasn't going to get the knee bar, um, he was just trying to find different ways to get it. And actually, it kind of looked like the same way to get it. He might have switched it up a few times, but yeah. it just looked like the same thing. And I'm just like, bro, this is Ryan Hall, Ilya Taporia-esque. So I was kind of hoping that Dan Hooker would just drop a bomb on him <laughs> and, and knock him out the way that Taporia did. But, um, yeah, um, Poyas definitely fumbled the bag, as the kids say nowadays. Um, there was a gigantic opportunity for him against a big name in the lightweight division. He had looked good up to that point, uh, knee bar submission after knee bar submission. 
But um, maybe the moment just was too big for him, the stage, and uh, he fumbled the bag. And uh, But also that has to do a lot with uh, how Dan Hooker defended yeah. and uh, his the way he stayed at distance and used his kicks. Um, and all of it was just really, really accurate, on point. And uh, the kick that, that dropped him, that last one, was just brutal. Just uh, all five toes right into the midsection. It was just... Uh, it, it was a very, very good kick. Uh, props to Dan Hooker, man. It's good to see him back um, on the winning side because he's one of the uh, most lethal fighters in the lightweight division, and he just was fighting the elite of the elite. Uh, tried to switch it up and go down, and then he, you know, didn't. That didn't work for him. You know, a lot of people were writing his obituary, but he yeah. rose from the dead and and uh, got it done. So props to Dan Hooker. Yeah, um, I, you know, I've I've never been off the Dan Hooker train. I know he's lost. He had lost four or five, but you know, I think in context. Like losing four or five is bad, but if you look at the context of, of which all of that occurred, um, it didn't to me add up to Dan Hooker is done. And again, it's to the elite guys in the elite division of the sport, and to see the gap from Dan Hooker, right, to like a Claudio Poyes, who's, you know, one of those like up and comer 155, like that gap was so sizable, right? It just reminds you like how good these guys at the top of this division are. Like, my gosh. Yeah, and and like this division is stacked, and we and we've known that. We've always said that yeah. lightweight is the number one, number two best division, and Dan Hooker's never been out of that discussion for me. Like Dan Hooker is one of the best, at the very least, best fifteen lightweights in the world. Um, you can spin it however you want. You can say he's top ten, top fifteen, but Dan Hooker's in that discussion. Yeah. This fight was to see if Claudio Poyas was in that discussion as well. Maybe you 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 jumpstart him. Uh, bring a fresh face into this uh, into this division, but like you said, there's just levels to this game. There's there was a clear level um, experience skill um, um, discrepancy between those two, and it, it was just on full display. And you know, I hope Dan Hooker gets a big fight in Perth uh, because you know we've seen Dan Hooker go through the lowest of the lows, um, and now getting a big win at an MSG. You know, I feel like he's got a new lease on life. There's a new champion, well, a guy who he lost to. But, you know, I feel like Dan Hooker, if he, he might be able to get some wins together now that he's got his confidence back. I think you still take it slow. You don't reach for the stars automatically, but I think you're, you're going in the right direction for sure. All right, so uh, before we do what's next, uh, let's talk about the feature prelim that also took place in the lightweight division. Uh, and this was Hanato Moicano over Brad Riddell, first round finish. I, I know Moicano is better in the standup than maybe he's given credit for. Um, I, I thought he proved that against Brad Riddell, who is is very good. Moicano looked really good in the standup. Also, like we knew where his advantage lied, and ultimately he got the uh, submission finish in this fight. But uh, another big opportunity for Hanato Moicano, and he absolutely capitalized both in the octagon and on the microphone. Yeah, talking about knocking it out the park. I mean, Hanato Moicano definitely knocked it out the park with his performance, with his post-fight uh, interview. Um, that's how you, that's how you introduce yourself into the rankings. I mean, I think if you with with just a win, he may not have, you know, broken to the top fifteen. But with that interview, I think that gave him some points. Uh, being a guy like Brad Riddell also is a is a big deal. He finished him. Um, of course, Brad Riddell took some time off. You know, he seen. You know, he said what he said about. You know everything, um, everything he's been dealing with and not fully being there and stuff. But yeah, just Hanato basically Moicano, said like he doesn't have the fire that he used to have, and he wants to take extended time away. 
and he feels like just being away from the sport will reignite that fire to come back and, and compete at the same level that he was before. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, you know, when you've been around this sport as long as he has, you know, sometimes that stuff is needed. But, you know, for Moicano, I mean, he t he definitely took full advantage of the opportunity um, that he had at MSG. Uh, so Moicano's going to get a big fight next. He's in the rankings um, and he's got, you know, he stepped in on short notice against RDA, had a tough performance. But, I mean, he finished Alexander Hernandez on a full camp, just finished Brad Riddell. So um, he's definitely training in the right direction. He seems to be getting better. He seems to be, be to be putting it all together at the right time. So it's going to be interesting to see what's next for him. All right, so what is next? Um, we talked about Dan Hooker and Hanato Moicano. After watching those guys fight back-to-back -back on Saturday night, I was like, that's a great matchup, right? Moicano Hooker, uh, you text me the same thing. Uh, you'd like to see Moicano Hooker. Is that the the number one thing you'd like to see for them, or are there other interesting ideas in your mind? I think that's a dangerous fight for both guys. Um, it's a good fight. You know, Dan Hooker wanted to return in Perth. He said, give me the the baddest guy that you can find. So if Moicano is down for it, I think that would be an easy fight to make. They both had pretty short nights um, here in uh, or, uh, at MSG. So I think that would be the uh, easy fight to make. I mean, we will see if Moicano would want to go to Australia, but I think that's an easy fight to make, a ranked, um, uh, a ranked matchup, and it would be a fun fight. The, the styles are very interesting. Um, the size of both guys are, is very interesting. Dan Hooker's big, you know, tall for the division, and uh, Moicano, I think, might um, he might not be as tall as him, but I think he's on. I think he's just a few inches shorter than him. So. Uh, both big guys for the division. So I think it would be very interesting to see those two guys fight. I'd want to see it. Yeah. Sign me up. I think that's an awesome fight. I would love to see it. Um, when Dan Hooker said, bring me the baddest guy, I started thinking about the lightweight division and like what stylistically could result in a really fun fight. I'm going to throw one out there that I maybe like better. And this is also kind of perfect between maybe proven and unproven. Dan Hooker, Jalen Turner in Perth. Yeah, um, that would be a very, very interesting matchup because like Dan Hooker's got size or not linked over most every lightweight in the in the entire division. Bring in Jalen Turner and Jalen Turner is six foot three coming in at, at, at lightweight and he's got skill, very good on the ground, just knocked out his teammate um, or I think he submitted his teammate, but he dropped him. So, yeah, I, I mean, if Jalen Turner um, wants that fight, and uh, he wants a big name. I think that's a that's a good. I think that's a fight that Jalen Turner should take, because Brad Riddell the, that win was great and everything. But if you really want to advance into the upper echelon of the division, you need a name on your resume like a Dan Hooker. So I think that's a very very good matchup for him. As far as Moicano goes, um, for me, I like either. Uh, again, I like the Dan Hooker fight a lot, but but the other ideas I had were either Gamrot or Sarukian. Ooh, those are two tough, tough matchups for for Moicano for sure. Um, I would like to see them both, but those two guys are as good as it gets. I mean, I just remember, I just think back to that matchup. Those two guys had Saruki and yeah. again, right? That that was a phenomenal fight. Um, I just wonder how quick um, Moicano would want to would want to turn around and fight again, because you know. Maybe he goes to Brazil and fights in Brazil. I mean, that, that, that car's still coming together in January. Who, who would want to step up and fight him there? Um, 
I think Sarukian and Gamrod are both really good options. I think both of them would want to fight up in the rankings, but um, if the Moicano matchup is what they're offered, I'm sure they would take it. Uh, who el- who else is down there at um, at the in the top 15 or at like 10 through 15? So 10 through 15 is Jalen Turner, Dan Hooker, Demir Ismagulov, Renato Moicano, Conor McGregor, and Tony Ferguson. Um, wow. Uh, well, <laughs> the the other one that that stood out to me, and I thought maybe Moicano did enough to maybe go up as opposed to down, but uh, Grant Dawson. Uh, yeah, that's a good one. That's a really good one. You know, I feel like the 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 bottom of the division, especially with Connor and Tony being there, it's it's kind of weird because like they're holding on to spots that these some of these younger guys kind of deserve. Um, yeah, I think that's more of a of a matchup that I would think would happen. Uh, Moicano and Grant Dawson. Um, but I mean, we'll see, man. I I feel like he did that interview really gained him some points with the UFC so I kind of feel like um he'll kind of be able to give his two cents on who he want to fight next yeah. so um we'll see what happens man well and think about how good he was against RDA right like on short notice like he took that fight the distance and I thought gave a great performance especially given the circumstance and he killed it on the mic that night as well like um I remember tweeting like dang Moicano killed it on the mic and I had to go back and find that tweet uh on Saturday night because I was like this is two, twice in a row. The dude is like made the most of his microphone opportunity. So that's why I'm like, let's move him up as opposed to, to down. But uh, Grant Dawson was just in the rankings last week after his win. He's replaced essentially by Moicano this week. So that one would make sense. I don't think Drew Dober currently has a fight. That would be another one I would throw out. Um, I think he actually just got married by the way, or no, no, no. Maybe he, what did I see on Drew Dober? Like, a he either just got, got married, married or, or just had a, a baby. Kid or, yeah. yeah, it was one of those. One of those two things. I saw that too. Um, Terrence McKinney is fighting on that Brazil card, isn't he? No, he that. Uh, I think whoever he was fighting pulled out. Or oh, okay. Yeah, but he's not on that. Card okay, so anymore. McKinney would make sense. Um, I wouldn't mind that. Yeah, that'll be a, that'd be a good one. That'll be a really good one. Where's Diego Fajeda? <sighs> I don't think I mean... he's fought since the. Who did he lose to? Was it Gamrot? Yeah, he lost to Gamrot, but I, f- I feel like he fought someone else after that. Has did he, he not? Sin- I don't think he's fought since then. Let me look. Um, here we go. Let's see. Uh, yeah, the Gamrot fight was the last time he fought. Oh, wow. Yeah, so. Or the other guy he uh, lost to, Gregor Gillespie. What's Gregor doing? That's a really good question because that's a guy who could really play into this lightweight division. But uh, he's saying that he does he's not getting the matchups he wants. But yeah. geez, bro, you're like getting in there because that this division is not going to get any easier, and you're going to come back to a really tough matchup. But uh, I'm looking at the Brazil card now, and uh, it seems like Terence McKinney did get uh, uh, a replacement, so he's he is still on that card. Um, Who does he have? And she, and uh, he oof. Oh, um, is it uh, Kuta Taladze? No, uh, Mo- Moises is fighting Kuta Oh, that's right, that's right. And McKinney is fighting Ishmael Bonfim. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. That is a uh, contender series guy from from this year. Who looked really good, by the way. 
And well, a- and apparently the Bonfine guy's brother at welterweight is like supposed to be the next phenom, and I believe he's on that card too. Yeah, he is. He's fighting uh, Munir Lazes. Yeah. So. So yeah, I mean, McKinney's not getting any favors in. This should be a good one. Uh, this card's really coming together. Yeah. But yeah, this lightweight division, man, this this whole lightweight division is not getting any easier. So like these guys sitting on their rankings, and then Gregor Gillespie not fighting, like. It's not gonna get any easier, so you might as well just jump into the into the land of the sharks, man, because uh, it, it's it's war out here, man. Yeah, man. Oliveira currently doesn't have a fight. Poirier just fought. Gaethje doesn't have a fight. Uh, Dariush doesn't have a fight. Chandler just fought. Fazeev doesn't have a fight. RDA is fighting at welterweight. Uh, Gamrot doesn't have a fight. Sarukian doesn't have a fight. Turner doesn't have a fight. Hooker just fought. I don't believe Ismagulov has a fight currently. Moicano just fight fought, and then. Uh, Connor and Tony, there's your rankings. Like nobody in that division ha- currently has a fight, other than Islam. Yeah. So I mean, it'll be interesting to see how this division comes together. But um, yeah, these these young these guys who are coming up who are not in the rankings. I mean, you got to make a play on some of these ranked guys. I mean, you you have to do yeah. it. Um, and I'm sure a lot of them already know, like the Grant Dawsons, the Drew Dobers, Thiago Moises, like all those guys. I know that they know, like. I would love to fight a top 15 guy, but, um, That's with Connor and Tony calling out Tony Ferguson. <laughs> yeah. Like they're just like there in the rankings and Tony's lost five in a row. I'm not saying like Tony shouldn't be in the rankings, but like, is he at 170 now? Like Connor McGregor hasn't fought since last July. Like he's, his next fight is not going to be at lightweight. I can pretty yeah. much, I can, I'm 99% sure. I mean, I'm sure you've seen pictures of Connor. That guy is not cutting to 155 anytime soon. So yeah, I mean, it's not going to hurt their stock whatsoever if they weren't in the rankings. So I say take them out and put some of these younger guys in who are actually chopping at the bit to, to, to have a ranking next to their name. Like Connor and Tony don't care about the rankings. They know they don't need it. Like these guys need it. Yeah. All right, moving on. Um, going back to the main card, I mentioned we would swing back to this one, but we were already talking about the lightweight division, so it just made sense to continue that conversation. Uh, a farewell to a future Hall of Famer and one of the most beloved fighters in UFC history, Frankie Edgar, Chris Gutierrez. My fear of this fight was that it was going to be a violent finish, especially when you consider what Sanhagen did to Frankie Edgar, what Cheeto Vera did to Frankie Edgar, and Will, it was the same thing again, right? The knee, just violent finish for Frankie Edgar. Hate to see him go out that way. Hate to see him go out the final three fights as violently as he did. Um, I was glad that he at least was able to get up and do a do an interview and all of that. But um, you know, I just it's like you said earlier. Like this sport is is so savage at times, right? Like it, it's just so unforgiving. Um, but that's that's it for Frankie Edgar. He calls it a career and a future Hall of Famer, no doubt. Yeah, man. Future Hall of Famer had an outstanding career, former lightweight champion, um, fighting guys 20 pounds bigger than him, basically. Like he actually didn't cut any weight. He probably had to eat food just to, (laughs) you know, make 155. But he gave us some tremendous fights with like Gray Maynard and Benson Henderson and Jose Aldo. Like he fought all the greats. Um, You know, it, it, it sucks that he had to go out like this, but like. You understand um, going fighting an MSG. You just wish the matchup was a little more favorable, where it could have been like a a decision, like a Dominic Cruz, where you know, like he's not going to take like too much damage. Um, but like you know, they say like you're the you're the old guy who's going out. You have to you know do the job or whatever for the for the young guy. I don't really feel like that was necessary in this fight. You know, Chris Gutierrez, um, he's he's good. 
you like you can tell he was a lot bigger than I thought he was. Uh, his kicks, you know, um, were are, are lethal. And um, with the way that Frankie fights, he's always, you know, in forward motion and forward with forward pressure uh, looking for the takedown. So he just leaves himself open for highlight reel knockouts like what happened with Corey Sanhagen, what happened with Cheeto Vera and what happened with Chris Gutierrez. Um, it's just the way that he's always been built to fight. Um, and this sport has just evolved. So um, glad Frank is getting out now. Um, he, he probably should have got out a few fights ago. But, you know, you, sometimes, you know, these fighters, you got to uh, take a loss like that, you know, a few losses like that to yeah. really get the hint. So uh, fantastic career Frank Yeager had. And um, farewell to him. It was a pleasure to watch him fight. And then also Chris Gutierrez, man. Um, I left that fight thinking, how does he not have a number next to his name? You told me earlier that he does have one now. It's just crazy, like this this division. Like Chris Gutierrez wasn't a guy who I thought like would have a, a number ne- next to his name until I saw that fight. Yeah. And now I'm like, yeah, this guy really deserves it for sure. Well, I feel like over the last two years, we've had so many conversations in the bantamweight division about there being probably anywhere from ten to fifteen guys that that any one of those guys could probably take a spot in that you know that bottom like eleven to fifteen. Like any one of those guys could potentially find themselves there on any given night. Like the, the separation in terms of the depth in this division is, is not much at all. Um, you know, Frankie Edgar calls it a career. We just had Aldo retire. It's opened up some spots that have been held down for a while. All of a sudden, will some of the guys that we've mentioned over and over and over, like, how does this guy not have a number next to his name? Like the, the bottom four in the top 15 are Umar Nurmagomedov, Chris Gutierrez, Adrian Yanez, and Jack Shore. So finally, you know, some of those guys getting opportunities with the, uh, with you know, some of the legends moving on and, and opening things up. But that's, there's still, I think, fighters in this division, um, you know, maybe 10 deep after the names that don't have a number next to their name that are that caliber. Yeah, how about Saeed Nurmagomedov? Oh, yeah. How about Kyler Phillips? Um, how about, uh, I just had a name that just left. It literally just just walked away. <laughs> I can't believe. Oh, um, Jonathan Martinez. How about Jonathan yeah. Martinez? I mean, I know there's more. That's just three off the top of my head. But, like, there's still so many guys who could, you know, have those spots. So this division, even though two spots got opened up, this division is still loaded. I mean, there's still probably 30 deep of, of, of guys of, who could be who could be contenders. Miles Johns has returned to the UFC. Uh, little Yoel Romero. So, like, there's a lot of guys who, who still could uh, make a play uh, for the top 15. Cody it's, Stamen it's, is unranked. Casey Kenny is unranked. Um, Holly and Paiva, Ronnie Haya. Yeah, that's a Sun Sal. A Sun Sal, who, yeah, just got back in the win column. Yeah, it's Castaneda. He just lost yeah, recently, Castaneda. didn't he? Man, <laughs> so many fights you kind of forget. Yeah, yeah, that division is, is uh, so deep though, but um. By the way, Chris Gutierrez, um, first name I thought, maybe it's too far up, um, and maybe this guy probably wouldn't take it, but Rob Font. Uh, I'm kind of, I'm yeah, I'm thinking, I'm not sure if he takes it, because he's sitting at seven, yeah. so like, I'm not sure if he would want to go too far down in the rankings. I kind of think that um, he'll fight, um, Chris Gutierrez will, will probably be able to fight like a Pedro Munoz type. But I think Rob Font is going to fight uh, 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 Ricky Simone. I, I would love to see that fight again. So, 
Yeah, there's options out there, man. Chris Gutierrez, Saeed Nurmagomedov, by the way, would be a lot of fun. <laughs> I mean, the the way that those guys kick, that would be a lot of fun. So I really want to see what's next porn, for Adrian. Right? Oh, for sure. I want to see what's next for um, Adrian Yanez. I feel like he might get a big time fight next. Like, I feel like the with the his uh, with his following, the way the the crowd loves him and the way he his fighting style is, he might get a a, a Rob Font. You know, I don't think that's out of the question at all. So, I mean. We'll see, man. Yeah, it's crazy he doesn't have anything. He he last fought in June. That went over Tony Kelly. And uh Yeah. I think he was supposed to be on the MSG card, but I think um whoever he was supposed to fight pulled out. Okay. I, I think I remember seeing that he was supposed to be on the MSG card. Okay. Oh, that makes sense. Um all right, light heavyweight division, Ryan Spann knocks out Dominic Reyes with a jab. Uh just vicious, right? And now we're talking about Dominic Reyes having experienced three consecutive vicious knockouts. Um, on the heels of having lost that controversial decision to John Jones. Uh, it's now four straight losses for Reyes. He had taken a lot of time off since the Yuri fight, um, changed fight camps. Um, you know, that was, I, I kind of feel like the way that it was promoted last week was like that was going to be the difference maker. Um, if you put all your eggs in that basket and the result is a quicker finish than you've experienced to this point, uh, that's got to be absolutely crushing to the confidence. I, I like Dominic Reyes a lot. He, his debut fight in the UFC was in Oklahoma city. Uh, and, and like he made a statement. So I, I, like I've been a fan of his since then kind of following the career. I hate where it's at now. I don't know what's next. Um, this one is, is pretty damaging. I, I told you last week, I, I, I thought this was a bad matchup. I had a bad feeling about this fight. Um, you know, Ryan Spann is only getting better. Uh, you don't have a size advantage in this thing. Um, and ultimately, Man, this was this was the worst loss he's experienced at this point. Yeah, and these these losses, these knockouts are getting worse by the by the fight because like when Jan took him out, like he kind of put him on skates as Izzy would say, and then dropped him and then like finished him with punches. Um, Yuri knocked him out with that spinning elbow, which but there's no him real for a while. There, yeah, yeah, I mean it was a that was a grueling fight. But there's really no shame in getting knocked out by that because that was a spectacular shot right. that you don't really see coming. This one was a little worrisome because I, I felt like Dominic Reyes, his timing was all off. Like Ryan Spann was hit, well, like whenever he was hitting him, Dominic was getting hurt, and it was it was bad. Like you you could see that Ryan Spann was throwing everything with with very bad intentions, and that's kind of how you have to fight someone who's just coming back off a, off a long layoff. You can't let them settle in. Right. I feel like Ryan Spann knew that, and he definitely took it to him. But that knockout, I mean, the jab just, it was nasty. And then that follow-up shot was what really made it look <laughs> even worse. I mean, he was, like, out on his feet, and then that follow-up shot afterwards just, like, really just looked awful. So uh, what what I thought Dominic Reyes should have done, like, Ryan Spann is good. Uh, he's a dangerous guy. I kind of felt like Dominic Reyes should have followed the Anthony Smith path back to the top. Anthony Smith went all the way to the bottom. Like, he fought, like, an unranked Devin Clark right. first. Like, he eased his way back to the top of the division where he's sitting at number five he now. he beat Ryan Spann I mean, recently. Yeah, he beat Ryan Spann recently, but, like, he didn't come right, right back to Ryan Spann. Like, Dominic Reyes, I feel like he should fight a Devin Clark right. um, type type guy. You know, not a guy who's dangerous, like... But there's a lot of dangerous guys out there. Like, you know, Khalil Roundtree's dangerous. Dustin Jacoby's dangerous. Um, Those are ranked do, guys, uh, though. Like, I think your point is you don't have to like maybe go beyond the rankings to just get your feet wet again. I mean, Dan Hooker, right? Like, 
rebounds with he didn't fight a light yeah. a ranked light heavyweight he went to claudio yeah. Poyes. exactly yeah so like if i'm dominic reyes i'm i'm going all the way down i'm going devin clark i'm calling him out <laughs> on instagram or something because like there's no like there's danger there but like devin clark is gonna try to wrestle you like i'm i'm trying to i'm i'm taking the least like cody garbrandt for instance he took all those knockouts and he He's fighting Ronnie Yaya, a guy who <laughs> is trying to submit you. So if I'm Dominic Reyes, I'm following that path. The Cody Garbrandt, Anthony Smith, you know, fight these unranked guys and, and see if you can get your mojo back. Um, because, yeah, these these guys are just too dangerous. And there's all that time off. Uh, you know, I think he should take some time off again. Probably like not as long, maybe like five, six months. Come back and fight an unranked guy, get your mojo back. By the way, what happened with that Garbrandt Yaya fight? That was supposed to happen um, a few weeks ago, but I think Yaya pulled out last minute, and then they took Cody off the card. But I think that got rescheduled for a future fight night. Okay. All right. uh, as for Ryan Spann, uh, obviously, like, how about the? I, I don't know whether this is complete bullshit or not, but after the fight, he said he's never trained more than three weeks for any of his fights, and this was the first time he had a full fight camp, uh, which. Maybe it's bullshit. Maybe it's true. If it's true, and like it, it somewhat makes you think like, what is possible with this guy, right? It, it did make me think about that, but then it also made me think like, how the hell did you miss weight if you had a full camp? Come on, man. Oh, that made yeah, you just sound yeah. bad. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it seems like I, I, I had that thought on Saturday, but I I forgot that he missed weight since then. So yes. Yeah, so like it makes you think like what like the sky probably is limit for him. Like how far could he actually go? Like he's a former champion in another promotion. Um, he's got the size. He's got this. He's got power in his hands. Obviously, he's got a good uh, guillotine. So like he's try if he's if he can put it all together, he could be a problem for a lot of these guys in the division. I'm curious to see what's next for him because like he's got a weird like resume. Like he lost to Johnny Walker. Uh, he but he beat Dominic Reyes. He lost to Anthony Smith. So, like, there's still some a lot of fun matchups out there for him. Um, but, like, I don't know what's next, but I, I think off a win like that at MSG, um, I think he'll probably be fighting up. Um, who do you want to see him fight? I mean, I know I just said he should be fighting up, but, like, the, after, like, seeing how big this guy is and how, like, devastating his strikes are, I mean, just like perfect. Ryan Spann, Khalil Roundtree. Like, how freaking amazing would that be? I like that. Um, I like I like Jamal Hill as well. Uh, man, I like Jamal Hill. I'm, I would not advise him to take a fight like that. <laughs> but I think, um, I don't know if you heard, but I think he's supposed to be fighting Anthony Smith in, in uh, January. Is he? I missed that yeah. announcement if that happened. Yeah, um, he got his. I thought Anthony Smith was hurt. I thought he'd be out for a while, but yeah, I was. I was pretty surprised to see that. Uh, that was. I think that it said in the works. I don't know if it was official, but yeah, Jamal Hill is supposed to be fighting Anthony Smith in January. Okay, it does not look like it's official, but yeah, they might be working on that currently. Um, that's that one's a lot of fun. Uh, if they can't get that done, I mean, Span lost to Anthony Smith, so throw throw Span in there. Um, or uh, Krylov. Hey, I, How about Krylov? That might be the one. Um, because uh, Krelov doesn't ha like. I thought that Krelov would fight Jamal Hill off of that win against uh, against Vulcan, but like he doesn't have anyone, and like Krelov is not a type of name where he's just gonna really like warrant 
um, like must fight a uh, a guy ranked ahead of him. So I think that makes a lot of sense. Nikita Krylov and Ryan Spann for sure. Krylov beat Johnny Walker. Johnny Walker beat Ryan Spann. Um, yeah. I mean, Johnny Walker is another interesting player. I think right around that same uh, set of rankings, right? Like right in that window. Actually, he's one spot behind Ryan Spann right now. So, and and Johnny Walker beat was that was that last year? The Johnny Walker Ryan Spann fight. Yeah, it was either last year or it was during and that. That was pandemic. crazy, like just crazy. Yeah, that was like, crazy fight. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was very like, okay, Ryan Spann, interesting, interesting development. Um, but he gets bumped in the rankings two spots after missing weight, which is a giant pet peeve of mine because it just doesn't make <laughs> sense. I mean, at least he didn't get a bonus because that was one of the better yeah. finishes on the card. Yeah, you get a consolation prize by getting moved up two spots. So, although I will say, if Ryan Spann got a bonus and Aaron freaking Blanchfield didn't, I would be furious, and I'm 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 very much irritated for Aaron Blanchfield that she didn't get a bonus. I know she was a heavy favorite. I know that every well, not everyone, but most people that follow the sport closely expected her to win. Um, so this wasn't a big surprise. But Meatball Molly McCann, even in Aaron Blanchfield's home state, right? Um, was the fan favorite. She's the big name. She's the draw in this matchup in terms of, like, fan interest. Um, that was as dominant a performance as you can possibly get. Like, if if somehow Molly McCann had finished that round, that's like a 10-6 if you can even do that. Like, unbelievable performance from Aaron Blanchfield uh, from start to finish. I mean, it's one of those, like, leave no doubt, and she did not leave a doubt. That was... I don't know how she didn't get a performance bonus for that. Yeah, for my money... I would have gave Aaron Blanchfield a bonus because I felt like that was the best performance, most dominant performance of the night. Um, it was Hamzat Islam-esque where the, the opponent doesn't barely land anything. They just get dominated in a very compromised position. Uh, ends up finishing it uh, with, the, with the submission where Joe Rogan's basically pleading with uh, Molly to tap. Um, crazy, crazy performance. Like it was... It was a it was a violent side of Aaron Blanchfield. Like she wanted to make a statement, and she definitely made that statement. Um, you know, Molly was the fan, was the fan favorite. Aaron Blanchfield was getting booed. You know, I'm sure you know that was something that you know motivated her even more. But um, yeah, big big time win for uh, Aaron Blanchfield. I kind of felt like this matchup for Molly was a was a little weird because like I don't know if like the UFC really expected her to win. Because, like, the last two fights that Molly's had, she's had big knockouts and stuff. And she deserves, like, a ranked fighter. But, like, you give her Aaron Blanchfield out of everybody? Like, really? Come on now. Like, that's probably the, the worst matchup out of everybody in the top 15. Um, like, I'm looking at the rankings right now, and I see a name that's ranked that you could easily have given her in uh, Cynthia Calvillo. Like, I feel like that's yeah. a very, very winnable matchup for Meatball Molly. And a matchup that, at least, at the very least, she would have looked good in. Uh, she wouldn't have got dominated. So, um, but props to Aaron Blanchfield. Like we knew coming into this year after she beat Miranda Maverick that she was going to be a player. It was only a matter of time before she entered into these discussions, the top ten and all this stuff. She's only twenty three and she's got the right mindset. She still wants to take the take things slow. She she called out Andrea Lee and uh Casey O'Neill, but like she's got the right mindset. She's got the right fighting style. I think it's only a matter of time before she's at the top of the division for sure. Uh, she does have a loss in Invicta to Tracy Cortez, who is currently number 13. 
So maybe maybe that makes sense in terms of running that back. You know, in terms of what they gave Molly, maybe we're looking at that from the wrong perspective. Maybe Molly is what they gave Aaron Blanchfield. But why would that doesn't make that doesn't because, make sense? Like because Molly I McCann, get it. like hear hear me out. Molly McCann's ceiling in terms of I think what she can accomplish in this division is limited. Like she's going to be a fan favorite. But I think in terms of like how many of the elite people she can beat, I think that's very limited. Molly McCann is still going to be a fan favorite after this loss. But Aaron Blanchfield probably has made a statement name for herself and, you know, maybe becomes a, a real contender and a real fan favorite. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense on the Aaron Blanchfield side. But I just thought like, man, Molly has got these two knockouts. I know that there's a ceiling, like, trust me, I do know. And I, and I know that she's still going to be a fan favorite even after this. Yeah. But, like, they had to have known that this fight wasn't going to go well for, for Molly. I mean, we uh, knew it probably wasn't going to go well. I didn't think it was going to be this drastically dominant. But I thought that, oh, yeah. that Aaron was a heavy favorite. I think we both did, right? Like, when we had this conversation last week of in course. making our picks. Yeah. Yeah, like, she fought Luna, Carolina, and, and somebody else, like, the the le- the jump in competition was just was weird to me. I didn't yeah. I didn't really understand it. Like I get giving Molly a uh, a ranked fighter, but I, it was just it was just weird that it was Aaron Blanchfield out of everybody. Uh, so I mean, the two biggest fights that Aaron Blanchfield has had now are Miranda Maverick and Molly McCann, and clearly the M and M's are good for. <laughs> Hold on. Yeah. The uh, the M and M's are good for uh, Aaron Blanchfield. Um, but no, like in the two biggest spotlight fights she's had, she, that's when she's been her best, right? Like, I think we really saw how skilled she was against Miranda Maverick. And we just, I think, saw the the killer instinct and the violence against Molly McCann. Like, this is, I think, a, a real title contender down the road. Yeah, and she's only going to get better. She's only 23, 23. years old. And yeah. uh, that's a scary, scary thought. For her to be that good or this good this early um and she's only going to get better she's only going to get more experience and she's got the right mindset of wanting to take things slow so uh she's a problem man like as soon as she did that to, to miranda maverick like i remember like it was yesterday when we were talking about the miranda maverick aaron blanchfield fight i didn't really know who aaron blanchfield was so i was saying like miranda maverick's gonna dominate her the fact that aaron blanchfield took miranda maverick out like that not that she knocked her out or anything, but it was just a dominant yeah. performance where she clearly was the better fighter. And it was just, it was shocking. I'm still shocked Agreed. by that fight. Uh, after I saw that, I was like, yeah. I mean, I know she she was probably, she was 22 at the time. I know she's young, but she's a problem. Um, yeah, and it, I was on full display against Meatball Molly, man. She's a problem. And whoever she fights next, uh, I mean, I, I, I think it's going to be a jump up of competition for sure. But, like, the fact that she beat Miranda Maverick like that still, like, a lot of these ranked fighters aren't as good as Miranda Maverick to me. I think a Miranda Maverick can beat a lot of these ranked fighters. So uh, I, I would favor Aaron Blanchfield against a majority of, the, of these uh, of these ranked uh, flyweights. And she's not trying to bite off too much too soon, right? Like, she called out Andrea Lee. She didn't jump out to, like, Lauren Murphy or Chukagian or, or Talia Santos, right? Like, she didn't shoot all the way up the rankings. Like, she went a couple spots ahead of her. Um, you know, she seems to be pretty smart about her path. Uh, you know, Macy Barber, 
I mean, we're only a couple years removed from Macy Barber being the phenom of this division, right? And and the conversation about maybe the youngest champ ever. Macy Barber's 24. Like, Aaron Blanchfield is doing what she's doing now at 23. Like, she's younger than Macy Barber is now. Yeah. And uh, at the same age, I mean, I remember when Macy Barber was making her, um, her like, introduction into the UFC and everything. And everyone had this had all of these praises like, oh, yeah, she's going to be the youngest champion uh, in UFC history. I mean, that was a little far-fetched, but if Aaron Blanchfield said to me, like, if she put it out there, like, I'm going to be the youngest champion ever, I know it's kind, I know she's older now, but, like, if she would have came in and said that, I probably would have believed her. Like, shit, she's good. Yeah. She's that good. I, I feel like Aaron Blanchfield, where she is now, is way past where Macy Barber was, right? Oh. And I like I I really like Macy Barber. She's one of my favorites in this division, as is Aaron Blanchfield. But I feel like Aaron Blanchfield is so much to me feels like she's just so much more polished at this point than Macy Barber was at the same point. Yeah, light. I'm not gonna say light years, but like she's way better than (laughs) than Macy Barber was. Like Macy Barber, you could tell in her fights. Like while she's good and has potential, she was still trying to put things together. Yeah. Um, Aaron Blanchfield. It seems like she just needs like some tweaks. She is putting it together. Like it. That. Yeah. yeah. she seems like she just needs like a few tweaks to her game and like there's things that she can improve on, but like she's got such a solid base yeah. that like the rest of this is just going to be like icing on the cake. Like she, like the sky is literally the limit for Aaron Blanchfield for sure. No doubt. No doubt. Uh, all right. On this UFC 281 fight card, um, we had Andre Petrosky with the decision win over Wellington Terman, which to be quite honest, there weren't a lot of decisions. Only three of the 14 went to the judges. Matt Frivola, how about that? The finish by Matt Frivola over uh, Otman Azader, who came in with all the momentum. Yeah, uh, undefeated was uh, Azadar. And then, you know, Frivola just went out there and he seemed really uh, composed. Um, it didn't seem like the moment was too big for him, even though he was fighting in his home state. Went out there and got the finish, man. Um he called out uh, Patty the Batty. I think that would be a pretty interesting fight after seeing how um, how he handled his ITAR. So we'll see what Patty Pimlet does um, next month. But that that could be a a, a pretty solid fight next. I Patty. like that, and I think that's probably a good, reasonable step for Patty without jumping too high, too fast, as we we just kind of referenced. Uh, Carolina Kowalkevich had a, a unanimous decision. The Michael Trezano sung Wu Choi fight was craziness. The double knockdown. Oh, I out mean, of the gate, what, right? It was so out great. Out of the gate. <laughs> I mean, if this if this fight card wasn't already great with everything that we just talked about, I mean, this fight card had a double knockdown. That should definitely like, take ah. it over the top. <laughs> it was so crazy. They, I, I, you know, you don't see that. That's something that doesn't happen often. So when they both went down, the first thing I thought of was like, Wow, what if they're both like knocked out? But of course they got back up. Yeah. It was just crazy. They they were both just swinging for the fences the whole time, and Trezano just had that that perfect lift that put Sangu Choi down. Um, that's the type of fight that you want to have to to in the early prelims to kind of start the night off. But I, like that that didn't even start the night off. We still had uh, a fight before that. Two fights before <laughs> that. Montel Jackson had the win over Julio Arce. Montel Jackson looked really good again. One of the few decisions on this card, and then. Carlos Olberg began the night with a, a vicious KO from a guy that will really, I, I think from the Kennedy and Zechiku fight to where he is now, looks like he's he's come a long way in a short time. Oh, yeah. Um, first, Montel Jackson dropped uh, Julio Arce, uh, so I was surprised that fight actually went the distance, but props to Montel Jackson. Like you said, like you always say, death taxes and bantamweights. <laughs> and then um, 
Carlos Alberg, yeah, since that uh, Kennedy and Zechku fight, that was a fight that he had and Zechku hurt, couldn't put him out, gassed himself out, and then Kennedy landed this, the, uh, those strikes to put him out. Since then, he's been very calculated and very calm and composed with his attacks. Um, and this fight was no different. Like, uh, Nick Mariano was trying to get Alberg to, to, to get into a firefight with him, but Alberg was just really composed, and he found the shot when, it, uh, when he needed to. And uh, and put uh, and put him down. It was a vicious knockout, uh, but he stayed composed and did his thing, man. Uh, props to Alberg. Uh, is there a name out there that you would like to see Alberg fight? I'm kind of in the same boat. Like you want to um, bring him, like advance him up, but you don't want to give him too much too soon. I still feel like he's young in the game and he's still and he's still learning. Uh, but I would I would give him someone who's got a name. Um, who's close to the top 15 um like maybe uh maybe you give him like kutalaba um if he wins maybe you give him um like a devin clark type maybe you give him uh man who else is out there um i would say damn it misha circa but he re- <laughs> but he's not in the oc anymore <laughs> but yeah give him give him someone who's got a name who um who's going to be a tough out but yeah, I, I feel like Nick Mariano was a, was a good step up. Yeah, uh, just keep giving him the uh, the proper steps up. I was gonna say Alonzo Minifield, but I just looked and I didn't realize that he was booked to fight Jimmy Crute. So I did not know they were. That's a good fight. Yeah, that's a striker grappler match. That's yeah. very interesting. By the way, speaking of uh, the light heavyweight division, I guess we have uh, Nimkov Corey Anderson on Friday night. Is that right? Oh, is that this Friday? I'm pretty wow. sure that's this week. Yeah. Yeah, so I think that's the same uh, um, fight card that Pitbull is defending the lightweight title against Usman Nurmagomedov. So um, two big title fights uh, in Bellator. And uh, yeah, that Nimkov and Corey Anderson fight ended unceremoniously with, uh, I think it was a, I think it was a low blow or like an illegal strike or just something where uh, uh, Nimkov couldn't continue. I don't remember exactly what it was, but um it was a fight where Corey Anderson was winning. It was, was a winning. clash of heads, I think. Clash of heads, okay. It was a fight that Corey Anderson was winning, and then that happened, and it kind of, you know, saved Nimkov from yes. losing. Corey Anderson was but definitely now, winning. But now they're they're scheduled to fight again. I mean, I, I'm not sure how different this looks, but we'll see how how Nimkov looks. I think uh, it's a very interesting fight uh, in light heavyweight division for the for the title. All right, so, um, man, we've covered a lot of ground, and we still have some picks to make. Uh, really quickly, before we make picks, Dana said in the post-fight press conference of UFC 281 that he does expect John Jones to fight early in 2023 and shot down any ideas that people had that there was ever a John Jones-Stipe-Miocic fight in the works. I don't believe that's true. Like, Dan- you, know, you know, Dana likes, likes to, like, leave out stuff. I definitely feel like they were close to having John Jones and Stipe um, or else like John Jones wouldn't have been on Twitter doing his whole campaigning and stuff. Um, I feel like at least the offer was thrown out there to Stipe. I feel like um, there was negotiations and all that stuff. Uh, I feel like they were, they were in talks and it was close. Like maybe there wasn't a signed bout agreement or anything like that, but I feel like it was very close to happening and the date was uh, December. I feel like there were too many reports out there for that not to be true. So, um, and I know John Jones really wants to fight Stipe. Like, yeah. I know John Jones is not really trying to fight. 
because like when it came to Francis, John Jones is like, okay, show me the money. But when it came to Stipe, he's like, yeah, I'll fight him. Like that, that if that doesn't show you, tell you everything you, you need to know. Um, yeah. So I, they're trying to get John Jones and Francis. We'll. I'm. I am twenty percent confident that that fight happens. I am not confident at yeah. all in that fight. I don't think we're, it's more likely that John Jones won't fight again than he than for him to fight Francis. I would agree with that. If I had to so, bet my uh, money on one side or the other, I would bet it on John Jones doesn't fight before he fights on Fra- I, I also, if I had to bet, I don't know. That, do we see Stipe again? If 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 you can't get Stipe to fight John Jones, I mean, possibly you can get him to fight for the undisputed title if that was offered, but I don't think that's going to be offered. With After this kind of layoff, like, is that even a, a real possibility? Yeah, I think he's... I think he's, you know, kind of settled into his life of being a fighter, fighter, firefighter, and uh, you know, not getting punched in the face, not getting yeah. knocked out. You know, uh, I think he's kind of settled into that life, and you know, props to him. He's he's had a Hall of Fame worthy career. He doesn't need to fight again. I don't. I don't think he doesn't need to prove anything else. If he's not fully locked into this uh, into this sport, you don't need to be in it. So. Um, I'm, but I'm sure the whole heavyweight division and the MMA community would like for him to just come out and say, I'm retired. But yeah. like, I'm sure Steve doesn't care <laughs> if if people want uh, him to retire or not. So, yeah, I, I think it's very possible. I'm I'm like 90 percent sure that we don't see Steve again. Well, like the John Jones thing, I think if you made me bet and I don't have any inside information, obviously, but. Uh, just kind of a gut feeling given how everything has gone since the last time we saw him. If I had to bet whether we see him again or we don't, I'd probably bet on on we don't. But who knows, man? Maybe you have that long layoff and being away from it for a certain amount of time finally like makes you want to do it again. But he doesn't seem like he's in any rush, and uh, Father Time isn't isn't going to be forgiving ultimately whenever that does get kick-started again. All right, UFC Fight Night on Saturday. Derek Lewis, Sergey Spivak is your main event. Five fights on this main card beginning in the welterweight division. Jack Della Maddalena and Danny Roberts at welterweight. Jack Della Maddalena is the heavy minus 500 favorite plus 350 for Danny Roberts. Yeah, I, I just feel like uh, this is going to be um, a striker's delight type fight. And uh, I I definitely think that while Danny Roberts is dangerous, I think Jack Della Maddalena uh, is just the better striker. Uh, and I, I think he'll probably get a finish here. So uh, give me Jack Della Maddalena. Um, it's going to be Jack Della Maddalena for me as well. And this dude's just a savage, right? Like, he just is one of those guys that you just, he has it. Like, he just, he, I think, thrives on the violence of the sport. And, you know, there's some people that you just feel like when they get into the, the exchanges and everything, like, they just come alive. And that's kind of the vibe I get with him. Um, I, I think he has a really high ceiling and, uh, obviously at minus 500, he is a heavy favorite for a reason. Jack Della Maddalena at welterweight, uh, sticking in the welterweight division. This might be as entertaining as any fight on the entire card. It is Muslim Salikov and Andre Fialho or Fialio. Um, each fighter will is a minus 110. Yeah. And that's completely warranted because there's one, there's one way this fight's going to go. It's going to be Rock'em Sock'em Robots, and whoever goes down first is the loser. Um, that's exactly how I see this fight going. And how these guys have fought in the past, 
their that their fighting style warrants that type of fight. So um, I think just like the odds say, it's a coin flip, and it's just whoever lands. I mean, I think this is a fight that we should just go opposite just because. So I'll just take the whoever you don't take. Oh, okay. Um, I feel like Fialho definitely has more power. I feel like Salikov has more weapons. Um, give me Salikov. Fuck it. I'll take Fialho. Right. <laughs> I don't think there's a, there's a, there's not a raw, obviously minus 110, minus 110. This is going to be a That's fun fight and it's going to be great exchanges. Um, but yeah, I think Salikov just has more in the arsenal. Fialho has the game changer power, I think. So uh, I'll take the, uh, yeah, Salikov. That'll be a fun fight, though. That's honestly, that's my prediction of, for fight of the night on the entire card. Uh, that should be a lot of fun. All right, heavyweight division. We have Chase Sherman and Waldo Cortez Acosta for what, Will? Like the second time in, in like three or four weeks? Um, yeah. Oddshark.com has Costa or Cortez Acosta as the minus 185 favorite, plus 150 for Chase Sherman. Yeah, Chase Sherman looked really good um, in his last one against Jared Vandera, and we just saw um, uh, Acosta get a big win just a, a few weeks ago. So, um, also over Jared think, Vandera, right? Yeah, also over Jared Vandera, and it was a weird fight because like Jared Vandera was landing these these leg kicks. I feel like, and we both said this that uh, Acosta just kind of felt like he was kind of underestimating Vandera a little bit. And then Vandera was landing those strikes and kind of pissed him off. And then he uh, kind of cruised after that, after he kind of uh, turned it up a notch. I think this is going to be a similar fight. Um, I think if he doesn't take Chase Sherman seriously, then it could be competitive and he could get put out. But uh, if he takes it serious, I think he's the more skilled guy. He's the faster guy. Um, and I think he... Uh, just his, his whole technique, like he's, you can tell that there's something special about him uh, when he goes out there and fights. So, uh, yeah, give me uh, Acosta over Chase Sherman. All right. I, um, I agree. I think uh, this is just more, I think, upside and ceiling for me. Um, I think we kind of know what Chase Sherman is. Um, he definitely has the experience advantage here, but I think Waldo Cortez Acosta uh, definitely has a higher ceiling. So uh, let's go young guy on the rise. All right, co-main event in the light heavyweight division, Ion Kutalaba and Kennedy Nzechiku. Oddshark.com has Kennedy Nzechiku as the minus 175 favorite, plus 145 for Kutalaba, the underdog. Man, um, I just think that it's weird because, like, the size difference is going to be pretty substantial in this fight. Kennedy is such a large, large guy, and, like, his reach is... Crazy. Uh, I mean, this is a fight that I think Kennedy should win, but I think Iwan Kutulaba's experience should uh, might play a factor here. Um, I think uh, if he can get this fight to the ground and tire Kennedy out, this could potentially be a pretty easy win for him, but he's got to get inside that reach. Um, that reach is just so substantial and Kennedy's so big I'll just take a dang you know I thought this would be an easier fight for me to pick but you know now that I'm talking about it I'm a little 
Yeah. Yeah, give me uh Give me uh, give me Kennedy. Right. I'll take. Uh, I think the reach is going to be, is going to outweigh the uh, experience factor. But I think those both of those things are the are the keys uh, to victory here for both guys. Give me Kennedy as well. By the way, this is the third straight basically giant, Kudalaba has faced. He he lost to Span, then he lost to Johnny Walker, and now it's Kennedy and Zechiku. So may, I mean maybe. Maybe he's used to the the giant um, height and reach advantage at this point, but uh, yeah, I think that's just that's going to be a problem in terms of what his path to win is, uh, and that's getting this fight to the ground. Getting there to get the takedown uh, just seems like a tall task against a guy that is this big and has this sort of uh, reach advantage. So Kennedy and Zechiku for me. Which takes us to the heavyweight division and the main event of this fight night. It is the all-time finish king or KO king in UFC history, Derek Lewis and Sergey Spivak. Oddshark.com has Spivak as the minus 200 favorite, plus 161 for the Black Beast. Derek Lewis is just one of those guys who is just a nightmare to bet on. Like, I don't understand how anyone could really, like, look at a Derek Lewis fight and be like, okay, this is going to be a fight where he knocks this guy out. And this is going to be a fight where he completely looks awful. Because like with Derek Lewis, it seems like there's no in between. It's either he knocks the guy out or he just looks awful. And the last couple of fights. Now, let me say this about the Taito Avasa fight. He That fight was going like Derek Lewis's way until it wasn't. Yeah. Uh, so I'll give him props there. But in terms of um, Chris Dacus, for instance, knocked, knocked him out. Um, Surreal Gone looked awful. Curtis Blades knocked him out. Curtis um, Blades looked awful until he knocked him out. Yeah, Curtis Blades like just looked so scared to engage, and then eventually it cost him because he forced a shot out of like being so yeah. anxious. <laughs> yeah, but um, I think that Sergey Pavlovich fight was a uh, was a bad one. I think he uh he was trying to um play possum. And then counter. Uh, I think he learned that from Ty Tuavasa because I, I think Ty did that to him <laughs> in the in their fight. But um, yeah, I think Sergey Spivak is on a is on a tear right now. Um, he's a guy who has a great uh, a great ground game, and he his his hands are starting to come together. Uh, knocked out Greg Hardy, knocked out uh, Augusto Sakai in his last one. Um, you know it, it, it's tough because like. Sergey Spivak is obviously the better fighter. He's got more ways to win, but like Derek Lewis and his power, it, it just never really seems like there's a right time to bet on Derek Lewis's power. Um, will Sergey Spivak force a bad shot and land and end up um, running into a Derek Lewis uppercut? Will he rush Derek Lewis and Derek Lewis plays possum? Um, if if Sergey Spivak were a smaller man. I would say I would give this one to Derek Lewis pretty I would say this is going to be the time to get the knockout. But I I just don't like where Derek Lewis is right now. Uh and I don't really see where he wins this if he doesn't land the big shot. Um it's hard to bet on that big shot when like everybody knows it's coming. So uh with Spivak being on such a tear uh, give me Spivak, man. All right. Not, I'm not confident in it. Yeah. Cause see, look, cause see, look, 
I'm going. I'm going to go for you. Okay. I'm going to. I'm going to say your pick because right. I know what it is. All right. I know what your pick is. You're going opposite. You're going to pick Derek Lewis. You don't feel like Sergey Spivak is going to be able to evade and 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 not get hit at some point by Derek Lewis. So your pick is going to be Derek Lewis. You think he's going to land the big shot? Now, come on. You're very close. You're very close. Yeah. Uh, the pick is Derek Lewis. Like in terms of the description, yes, very close. Uh, I think what you said is absolutely right. I was going to say that. I would also add, like the guys he's lost to recently are all good, like really good in the standup. I like Spivak. I think is a far cry from tied to Ivasa, from Cyril Gone, from Pavlovich in the standup. Like we can all agree, similar to like you know talking about like somebody taking Izzy to the ground. Like, if Spivak gets this to the ground, I absolutely think he's going to dominate the fight. Can he get it there, though? Uh, I I have a hard time just thinking that Derek Lewis is going to allow him that opportunity without making him pay a very hefty price for that. Um, so, yeah, I think they're, they're going to have to have some exchanges, and I am not betting on Spivak to be on the better side of those exchanges. By the way, same same height, Derek Lewis with an inch reach advantage. In this matchup, I think I'm under the impression that um, Sergey Sergey is going to be able to get this fight to the ground okay. at some point. Um, I, I I know that it's it's a similar to to the Curtis Blades with how he wrestles. He's going to be trying to uh, force Derek Lewis to uh, make a make a you know swing for the fences and then take it down. So I think we may see a similar approach from Derek Lewis to what happened with Blades. Yeah. But um, I think Speedbox can take some chances, get inside, maybe clinch a, clinch a little bit. But um, yeah, it's it's very it's a very scary thing when uh, Derek is just kind of labored back and waiting, inviting you just in. Loaded up, right? <laughs> Got that right hand loaded. Yeah, inviting you in to take that uppercut. Um, but yeah, you know, I I, I just like where Spivak is right now. And I just think Derek Lewis is on the wrong side of things, but I could be wrong. Like, like I said, Derek Lewis is just a terrible guy to bet on. Um, yeah. Like I remember picking Curtis Blades and feeling very confident in it, and then we saw what happened with that. And then I also remember picking Derek Lewis against Ty Tuivasa, and then you you saw what happened with that. Um, so yeah, Derek Lewis is just really tough to bet on, but we'll see what happens. Ty Tuivasa, Sergey Spivak is not on the feet, right? Like. I, I don't think that he has as much like athleticism and quickness and he's not as skilled in the standup as the guys that Derek Lewis has recently lost to. Um, so. So I guess Spivak. So I, I think Lewis is going to catch him. You what? So I said, sorry, Spivak does have a victory over Ty Tuivasa. He does. But that he does. Was, yeah. That was pre, you know, resurgence right. of Ty Tuivasa. But um, yeah, uh, I, I mean, that's pretty much how this fight's either going to go. It's either Derek Lewis is going to catch him or Sergey Spivak's going to, to get him down and finish him. Agreed. I mean, that's just, it's just like, what do you think is going to happen more? I mean, what, what do you think has the higher percentage? Um, right. Yeah. So, and I, I would feel differently if Derek Lewis wasn't on this skid, but, um, you know, Sergey Spivak has really looked impressive. So, I don't know, man. I mean,. That's why we fight. There we go. Well, we That's, don't fight. They fight. Yeah. That's why they fight. <laughs> we live vicariously through those guys. Yeah, I, I will. I will kick 
a a uh, punching bag yes. or one of those bags or I keep doing heavy um, bag workouts uh, and yeah yeah I'll do that all day but uh you know getting in there against someone uh, against a Derek Lewis or a Sergey Spivak I don't know about all that yeah no doubt no doubt. <laughs> All right, man, we covered a lot of ground. Uh, big fight card on Saturday. Um, I feel good to finally have like exercised all of the stuff I've held in and wanted to talk about since Saturday night. So uh, this was much needed on my end, at least. Yeah, man, Yeah, we definitely covered a lot of ground. There, there was so much to talk about. That, that was a fight card that needed to be fully unpacked, and uh, we definitely did that. Amen, brother. All right, Saturday, main event, Derek Lewis, Sergey Spivak, uh, sneaky fight card here. And uh, we get ready to close out 2022. Only a few left. Uh, That is Will Brewer. I'm Colby Daniels. Everybody have a great week, and we'll do it again next week. Podcast is over.